This week on Punch Mountain. A guitar case full of guns is pretty cool, I guess. I just wish he had grown up learning the accordion. Grab your books full of money because we're watching Desperado. Punch Mountain starts now. and welcome to Punch Mountain, the podcast where we review action movies one by one to discover the definitive ranking of action movies, not determined by us, but by the action gods themselves. We don't make the mountain, we just climb it. My name is Mac Blake. I'm joined, as always, by David Hara. David, how are you? I'm doing very well, thank you. That was a nice little, like, Arsenio Hall entrance. I, I, I'm starting the show on a, on a good foot. Thank you, man. Of course. <laughs> oh, my dog pound's there. Thank you. <laughs> there they are. Appreciate that. There they are. Oh, no, David, but they're all dead. You're going to have to, uh, they just got killed in front of you. You're going to have to get some revenge, much like the hero of this movie that we watched called Desperado. Yes, I am not unlike the mariachi, played by Tony B, Antonio Banderas. I'm looking forward to talking about this movie, Mac. How about you? I am looking forward to this movie as well. So wh- this movie came out. God, oh my God, are you are you sitting down, David? I am. Yes, I have to. <laughs> this movie came out almost 30 years ago. <laughs> 1995. I was a teenager, Mac. This was this was like a Hollywood video staple. My goodness, I've grown up with this movie, Mac. I was also a teenager in 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 the high school, as, as I believe the kids call it. So, David, opening thoughts. What's your history with Desperado? And not the song by Rihanna, which, of course, is great. Oh, my God. That album. No skips. Auntie, no skips. <laughs> I saw Rihanna with my wife in concert on that tour, and it was yet another show where I felt like I was like a, a parent taking their kid to the concert because uh, my wife is small and attractive and, and, and youthful looking, and I'm a giant ogre. And uh, real quick, I'll tell a Lana Del Rey story. So we went to go see Lana Del Rey and and the crowd was, was a lot younger than me and mostly women, mostly young women. And, you know, watching the show, Lana Del Rey's on stage, barely moving. And at some moment I, I feel like some eyes on me and I turn around and the uh, young lady to my left has turned her head 90 degrees and she's staring at me and the young lady gestures towards Lana and she goes, she's so beautiful. And I was like, uh, yeah. And then the warmth of her face disappeared. And then she says, is that why you're here? And I was like, whoa. I was like, no, uh, this is my, and I just kind of point to my, my wife swaying along to this, this moody dystopian uh, music. The young woman goes, okay, you're a good boyfriend. And I was like, well, husband, but you know, whatever. <laughs> we get it where we fit it, I guess. Well, now you've got to sh- like now you've got to show your bona fides everywhere you go. Like you, ha- you should make a shirt that says "I'm with Farrah Wife" and have an arrow pointing. I, I just I have the look of like I'd rather be at a Wilco show. <laughs> it's just that's what I look like from now on and forever. I guess <laughs> humble bragging finished. Okay, Desperado, nineteen ninety five. Have you seen this movie before? I've seen this movie before, Mac. I saw this opening day at the Commerce Park Eight with my parents. Uh, this was. This was a family event. We were really excited about this. You know, this was around the time that I was getting into movies and especially like independent movies. The early 90s was a great time to be a teenager. It was really cool and exciting. And Robert Rodriguez made El Mariachi in 93, came out in video in 94. So by the time Desperado comes out, like my dad's seen El Mariachi. I've seen it with him. We, you know, this was very cool and exciting to see someone like us making a movie and making a, a fun movie. So, you know, it was it was very cool to see. And then uh came out on VHS. I bootlegged a copy of it. You know, I put it on a eight-hour tape. It was on there with, like, Brain Candy and a couple of other movies. So 
I watched this movie in a loop. Like watching this movie for this show, I realized how much of this movie I know and how much of this, like the history of this movie I know. Rebel Without a Crew was the book that came out around this time that Robert Rodriguez released. It was a diary of the making of El Mariachi and and sort of what he had to do to make that movie, the the lab rat stuff, the the drug testing for money to raise funds. That was such an important book for me as a teenager, as somebody who thought I wanted to get into movies and reading that and and kind of stripping away the glamour of movies and just getting down to like the nuts and bolts of a business of producing content. Man, I've I've got such a bond with this movie and with Robert Rodriguez more so than I thought. It's like you know, when you hear My Own Worst Enemy by Lit and you realize you know a lot more of the lyrics than you thought you did. Yeah. It's like, oh, <laughs> shit. I know this whole song. Yeah, I know this whole movie, it seems like. But uh, I'm excited to talk about this. What is your history with Desperado, Mac? Well, David, I'd never heard of this movie before, and you told me about it. and Because you know, of course, I'm a huge fan of the movie uh, Happier Than Ever, A Love Letter to L.A., the Billie Eilish documentary concert film directed by Robert Rodriguez. And then, of course, uh, you know I cannot be a bigger fan of the Nasen XP. And you told me that there was a collaboration between those two. And I was like, oh, my God, B. Lee Irish, here we go. It's going to happen. <laughs> uh, David, just give me a thumbs down. <laughs> no, David. I, of course, yes. I was a little bit behind you in terms of movie appreciation. But, yeah, this movie came out, and it just felt like it was part of that, like, Kevin Smith, Tarantino, Robert Rodriguez, Soderbergh wave like oh my god like uh independent film is now something that uh seems reachable in a way like it i feel like it was like speaking to me because you know prior to that when i thought of independent movies i thought of like you know art house films or or what what have you uh and, and i didn't think of like you know something like clerks or, or pulp fiction i'll say this though david so i went to high school in san antonio i remember when this movie came out and the latino dudes in my high school could not have been more excited about desperado and Antonio Banderas. Is that, did you experience anything similar in, in Houston? It, you know what? I lived in the suburbs of Houston, so it wasn't quite the cultural wave that maybe it was in San Antonio. I, oh, let's, it, slow, it was, let's slow down that talk. <laughs> I was thick in the suburbs in, in that say. The circle of friends I kept didn't really have Desperado or Robert Rodriguez or Antonio Banderas on their radar. So this was kind of, this was a secret that I kept with me and a and a friend in art class who watched the same kind of movies I did. Like uh, he would quote Bucho all the time. Uh, so maybe actually, you know what? I think this movie did kind of quote Bucho. Like was is Bucho very quotable? I guess we'll see as we go about this thing. It's a very easy. It's a very easy voice to do an impression. Oh, of, okay. Like uh, so, uh, we'd be sitting in art class and you just hear him mumble, "He'll never dance again," and that would just crack me oh, up. Oh, fair enough. That is that's a good line. But the other thing, David, is we then moved to Austin. For better or for worse, we lived in the city. One of their like marquee celebrities was Robert Rodriguez. Like I remember when The Daily Show did some shows in Austin. Uh, there was like an all opening sequence where it's like I'm going to eat at Franklin Barbecue and listen to Spoon, and Robert Rodriguez will direct the episodes or something along those lines. And Robert Rodriguez has bragged about how inexpensive he can make movies, and it's true. Like I, the budget of this thing was seven million dollars. Uh, the budget of El Mariachi was like famously what like seven grand. Yeah, that's crazy. And I mean, for $7 million, this movie looks amazing. But then I, I think he just got married to the idea of like how cheap I can make movies. Because then he would just brag about how cheap his special effects were. And as uh, Tom Sharpling pointed out, uh, it's not like you're passing the savings on to us. Like a, a Robert Rodriguez movie does not cost less at the box office than going to see a movie whose special effects don't make me want to gouge my eyes out. Because those like Spy Kids movies and, and Machete, they're just, they're all, oh, the, the effects look terrible. There's this movie on Netflix called We Can Be Heroes, and it's aimed at kids. 
and I don't know how we stumbled across it, but my three-year-old was like, I want the movie with the superhero kids with the alien arms or something. And I'm like, all right, we'll watch this again. And that movie sucks, David. I know. Sin City, you know, whatever. I liked it, I guess. And then the second Sin City did not need to be made. And watching this movie blew my mind because it went back to a time where it seemed like he cared about how stuff looked. Mm -hmm. I think this movie's got, visually, he's got a lot of awesome moments in it. But I think the demarcation point for me is you can definitely tell with El Mariachi that was a labor of love in that he loved making little short movies, little handheld, you know, uh, eight millimeter films. And then he got to make a motion picture. So he had his hand in everything, the stunts, the costumes, you know, how everything was. And so once the movies get bigger and bigger and he loses that hands-on quality of making movies, I think he sort of lost the passion as well. Sorry, did you see Battle Angel, Alita or whatever it's called, Alita Battle Angel? No, I never did. Did you? Yeah. And it was interesting to see Rod Rodriguez working with a large budget. And that movie, I mean, I don't know. It made some choices with the main character. Rosa Salazar is the uh, actress's name who played Alita. And they like digitally altered her face to give her kind of an anime look, which uh, I found upsetting. But anyway, I'm off on a tangent. I guess my point is it was a lot of fun watching this movie. And I wish Robert Rodriguez would go back and watch this movie again. Because there's a, an energy in this movie that I, I wish his modern stuff still had. Maybe he'll return to form in Hypnotic, coming out this year, starring Ben Affleck. Also, I like from Dust Till Dawn. Okay, David, before we go any farther, I think it would help to clear up some common questions. If you search Desperado Film on Google, tippity-tip-tip-type, the results include these frequently asked questions, so we shall do some quickly provided answers. David, is El Mariachi and Desperado the same movie? Yes! Right? Yes. Right? Yes. Mac, why is the movie Desperado rated R? For violence and some today's. How old was Selma Hayek in Desperado? Old enough, my main man. Mac, did Quentin Tarantino film Desperado? No, David, he filmed the music video to Despacito, I believe. The song by some people and also Justin Bieber. Before we watch a former mariachi blaze a trail of revenge against a dude who maybe doesn't deserve it, we deserve a moment to blaze a trail of friendship. A friendship check-in. David Hada, how are you? I'm doing all right, Mac. Uh, I got a question for you uh, based mm. on something that ha- happened to me earlier today. What's the silliest thing you've cried about lately? Maybe oh, ever. Oh, my goodness. Oh, boy. That's a good question. I don't know if it was like a full-on cry. I told you my my eyes got a little sweaty during Pacific Rim <laughs> at some yeah. point, which was, it was a low moment. When you said that, though, a memory popped up. It's not a recent memory, but I remember watching Lost at some point. And I think I was like going through something. And I remember, you know, those crazy kids were on that island and they couldn't get off. I just remember watching it and just being like, God, they've been through so much. And like that. <laughs> I was crying about something else, I'm pretty sure. Why? What about you, David? Did you, uh, what did you, did you see DC League of Super Pets and start crying? Oh, am I supposed to? <laughs> no, what happens to that? No, it just, Jesus. Dwayne Johnson uh, furthers the, uh, some IP is what he does in that movie. Oh, golly. Mac, are you familiar with the song Tomorrow? From the musical Annie. Yes, the sun will come out. The sun will come out. It's been around for years and years. It's It's been in the background of our lives. For some reason, it decided to step to the forefront today and, and just hit me in a way that, like, this poor orphan has nothing to look forward to. You know, she she's just scrapping by. And for her to still have this outlook on life, I started crying. I, <laughs> Well, it's even it's even worse than that because a few days ago, the whole reason I started off on this is a few days ago I finally showed uh, my girlfriend the bombshell, uh, showed her Cabaret for the first time, which I happen to love a lot. Mm-hmm. And so the songs from Cabaret got stuck in my head. 
And so then the covers album by the band Me First and the Gimme Gimmies got stuck in my head. And so then I started to listen to those songs and then listen to the original versions of those songs that they covered. And that's how I got to Annie and Tomorrow. And then I just, it hit me. It hit me, but it caught me by surprise. How are you, Mac Blake? I'm doing good, Dave. I was visiting with my mom this week and Golden Girls came on. And my mom usually does not like Golden Girls because she was watching the Hallmark Channel and I was just like in the room. And... I was like, you want me to change it for you, mom? And she's like, you know, I, I guess I do kind of like it or something. And so we watched it. It's it's so funny now that, you know, we were doing comedy a while. These shows that I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot fucking pole when I was like a cool kid. Now I'm watching Golden Girls and I'm like, the the time, the jokes permitted on this show and everyone's just an all-star. Like, look at their delivery. It's just untouchable. I mean, I guess I always had like a mild appreciation for Golden Girls. I mean, that theme song, how can you not? But watching it now, I was just like, this is an all every show's an all-star game. These these people are just crushing it. Mac, I am halfway through season five of Night Court, and I feel the exact same way. Like it is so weird the level of appreciation I have for this thing that is just kind of vulgar and gross in a lot of ways, but it's just like these guys are just at the top of their game. How how do we just sleep on this for so many years? Is any of this usable, David? I don't know, but I think it's time to do it. Grab your guitar case, Mac. We're going in. All right, David, just to level set, in case some people listening are not familiar with this movie, can you give the back of the box description? Yes, I can. Antonio Banderas, Joaquim de Almeida, Salma Hayek, Steve Buscemi, Cheech Marin, and Quentin Tarantino star in this stylish shoot-em-up described as a south-of-the-border Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Director Robert Rodriguez follows up his legendary debut film, El Mariachi, with this sexy sequel about a mysterious guitar player, Banderas, searching for vengeance against the men who murdered his girlfriend. Mm -hmm. 1995, 105 minutes, directed by Robert Rodriguez, rated R. Interesting back of the box. Uh, as you can tell, there, the, we were a nation high on Pulp Fiction at the time, I guess. But David, the man who murdered his girlfriend, I think that was the dude from El Mariachi, right? That's right, yeah. That was the original guy who they ended up getting at the end of El Mariachi. Yeah, and so I don't really know why he's going after a, a bucho. And I, I think I made it through almost all of this movie, and I typed into Google, like, why is El Mariachi trying to kill bucho? And David, if you, if you think the internet is a terrible place now, here's the answer I got on the internet. It said, quote, the men who worked for you killed the woman I loved. Direct quote, he says to bucho, please try and pay attention next time. David, that was posted 13 years ago in response to someone asking the same question. So yeah, the internet has always been a terrible place, populated Golly. by people who are like, um, thanks for playing. <laughs> All right, David, how does this movie start? This movie's going to start with Steve Buscemi, not the actor, the character in the movie, who also happens to be played by Steve Buscemi. He enters a dirty little bar somewhere in Mexico where the bartender is Cheech Marin and sitting at the bars, hey, it's the singer in the band at the beginning of Roadhouse. If you love him, buy him a big TV. Buscemi bellies up to the bar and begins telling the tale of the mariachi, played by Antonio Banderas, a do-gooder with a guitar case full of guns looking for the one they call Bucho. The mariachi just destroyed a bar two towns over and is headed this way. We also get an opening credit sequence slash musical number slash dream sequence slash previously on El Mariachi. Yeah, I like this opening, and it's fun to see young Gish Steve Buscemi, I guess. He doesn't really play these kind of characters anymore, which makes sense because his character was kind of a young Weasley guy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this was the year before Fargo, so this was still when he could do this. I remember being in the theater seeing Steve Buscemi and being like, oh, wow, this is so cool that he's getting a Hollywood paycheck. So, yeah, it was neat to see him. Yeah, what was that movie? Con Air. When he was in Con Air, that was like, whoa, Steve Buscemi doing like a, 
you know, a, a made for multiplex movie. Okay. And then now he's in like every Adam Sandler thing. Yeah. <laughs> Good for you, Steve Buscemi. That's what I'm trying to say. But man, this was like a time warp. This was like entering 1995 all over again, just because of how written this opening scene is like, it's just letting Buscemi talk. And then we'll later on, we'll let Tarantino talk. And this was back when scripts just let people talk. And it, it's a, it's a tough energy to kind of wrangle and, and, and hone, but uh, this is fun. This is really fun in the moment. A lot of scenes, this movie kind of feel like a play just because you have, you know, people talking and the, it's very playful the way the characters like, uh, you know, talk to each other or interact. You get the kind of the feel that he's performing here as he tells the tale of El Mariachi to bartender Cheech Marin and uh, Tito. I forget his character's name, Tavo, maybe? Oh, heck, yeah, it is Tavo. First of all, I love this intro for El Mariachi. The idea that we're, like, first time we're seeing him, have you guys heard about this? It was as if he was always walking in a shadow. I mean, every step he took towards the light, just when you thought his face was about to be revealed, it wasn't. It was as if the lights dimmed just for him. As, like, an intro to a character kind of hearing him spoke of as like a myth and then seeing visuals, which kind of play into that too. I, it was a really cool hero intro. I, I was on board from the get-go. Really cool hero intro. Going back a, a beat to the, your point about, you know, it felt like a play, you know, even where they are, even this bar, it's a set, you know, you look around and it's very clearly a set, but it's a good set. It's a fun set. It, this whole, this whole movie has a feel and it nails it every single time. David, it's an actual bar though. The bar at the beginning of the film where Steve Buscemi and Cheech Marin talk is an actual bar in Acuna, Mexico called the Corona Club. Shut up. Are you serious? Yeah. I'm embarrassed. That's hilarious. You shouldn't be. It, it felt like a, a little bit of a set there for sure. I, I think if I read correctly that it's um, only part of that bar. So I think they managed to like kind of wall it off. I could be 100% wrong about that. But the internet tells me it's an actual bar. But uh, going back to Tavo sitting there talking with Cheech Marin, Mac, we get to a, a member of the Tito and Tarantula verse who we saw originally in Roadhouse. This is great. It's a fitting connection because and there's a dream sequence coming up where uh, El Mariachi does a little bit of cooling down of some drunks himself. Well, not really cool. Like he kicks one in the face. Also, Desperado is very much like a Western too, kind of like Roadhouse is. Specifically the fact that there are no fucking cops that are coming <laughs> in response to any of this violence, this, you know, gunplay going on between these, uh, all these pistoleros. The only thing that kind of wears on me with this opening sequence is how thick Buscemi lays it on. You know, he's really trying to spell out that the mariachi is coming for Bucho and he's coming for anybody who stands in his way of Bucho. And so he's, you know, telling the story of, of the massacre that happened at this other bar. And he's like, oh, these guys were a bunch of real lowlifes. Not like you guys, like really, like he knows that the other people in the bar surrounding him are listening in. So he's kind of playing it up like, you guys are all right. They do that beat one, a, a few too many times in this scene to the point where it's like the fourth or fifth time I was like, all right, please just move on to something else. This isn't a long run time. We can cut this down. And during this speech, when he talks about El Mariachi, we get the same music that was used in Pulp Fiction, Jack the Ripper by Link Ray. And I know that... Quentin Tarantino and Rob Rodriguez are buddies, and Tarantino is in this movie. Did any point during this movie while watching it, did you wonder if Tarantino worked on the script at all? Absolutely. Absolutely I did, especially in the longer stretches. That that feels like something, especially around that time, they would just bring Tarantino in to do punch-up to just add chunks of dialogue to a movie. I mean, I didn't find any anything online that said, like, yeah, he wrote part of this. And maybe it's just, look, they were buddies hanging out, and they kind of rubbed off on each other. Because, you know, watching... Some more recent uh, Robert Rodriguez stuff. It does not 
feel like this, but it's, yeah, it's maybe a beat too long, but it's playful in a, in a fun way. For sure, yeah. And when Busimi is telling the uh, this tale of El Mariachi, we see him wasting some dudes, and we get a little taste of kind of the action that we're going to see, which is he shoots a guy, and then I guess in real life, that guy, a stunt performer, is like got a wire on his back, because when he blows him away, he goes flying off into the air, and I remember thinking it was awesome whenever I finally saw this in the 90s, and now... It's funny, it, it doesn't have the like, whoa, kind of factor, but it still looks really cool, man. It's a really fun effect. See, here's where, when I when I first saw this opening night, I was such a loser that I kind of rolled my eyes at it. I was like, oh, is it going to be this kind of movie? But watching it now, I, I love the fact that this movie is announcing what kind of movie it's going to be. It's going to be this silly, you know, I'll tell you what, the stunt work in this movie is a lot of fun. Uh, and this is just sort of, you know, it's, it's announcing its intentions. Yeah. And then we do a music cut and we see El Mariachi playing in a bar to a hot crowd and uh yeah he and like some people are gonna have a fight and he like plays a guitar over to them and like knocks one of the shitty dudes who's about to get into a fight he knocks him out and he's like doing all this fun stuff and he's just like crushing on the guitar and david i was just about to get super mad <laughs> super mad i don't know if super mad <laughs> i was just i was getting a little annoyed because he's seen as one of my pet peeves which is like he's singing acapella there's no microphone in front of him and uh-huh. yet it's he he sounds like amplified and i don't know why i did that really bothers me in a movie when people suddenly start singing and unless it's a musical in which case rock on right yeah for sure and it's the same kind of thing where if you have people in a, a super loud club or bar and they're just having a normal ad volume conversation and like there's no way you could fucking hear each other in that loud <laughs> club colin farrell in the movie miami vice <laughs> David, I need to cool my goddamn jets because this is a dream sequence. It's all a dream because when he stops playing, the crowd is silent. And in the crowd, as I guess, is it Moko? Is that his name? That's right. Yes, that's going to be Moko from the original movie. Yeah. yeah, from El Mariachi, which, David, this movie is a sequel to. Okay, because as it plays out, it is going to play like a beat for beat retelling of El Mariachi. I remember watching this originally thinking that this was just a remake, that like, okay, no one saw the original, so the studio said, just make whatever you want, even if it's a carbon copy. But uh, this is helpful in a sense. But then it's also like, I worried that, okay, what if someone hasn't seen El Mariachi? Are they going to be lost? They're not going to be lost. This really is all you need to know about the original movie. Yeah, and they even reshot the ending scene of El Mariachi. You have all the same actors from El Mariachi, except Carlos Gallardo being replaced by... Antonio Banderas. And David, it's a shocking scene here, this reshoot or this restaging. All the other actors in that shot look like actors in a $7,000 movie. They're all <laughs> very attractive, right? They're all very, you know, good looking, whatever. But they're not Antonio Banderas good looking, right? And so right. it's like, it's just a bunch of normal looking people. And then Antonio Banderas, you're like, oh, gee, what the fuck? It just, it's like a bunch of people who came out of a, a, a coal mine. And then all of a sudden, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow was there. Gwyneth Paltrow? <laughs> Why is she my go-to glamorous person? Oh, she's, look out. She's coming your way. <laughs> no, that's such a weird, I got some stuff to work out, I guess. But it's so funny that they chose this moment from the original movie to retcon because it only reminded me of the coolest part of the original movie. And that was that. They blow his hand off, and as he's moving on to the next town, the, you sh- you see him with a robot hand. He's got, like, a little mechanical hand. And I remember thinking, oh, that's cool. So if they do make a sequel, it's going to be The Adventures of Robot Guitar or whatever. And so just to have it be Super Hunk Antonio Banderas was a little disappointing. Oh, I totally did not remember that at all. But I felt okay 
not knowing anything about El Mariachi because I, if I remember this movie correctly, I was like, I don't think I need to know anything. You don't, yeah. But then I also remember being confused by why he was going after El Bucho in this film. And then watching it years later, I still was confused. And then a person on the internet 13 years ago, time traveled to the future to shame me. So the mariachi awakens to Buscemi knocking at his door. Time for the mariachi to kill a bunch of day drinkers. But who is this mysterious leather-vested man played by Denny Trejo? And David, who's this other character? He looks like a less talented Randy Quaid. Mac, it's Quentin Tarantino. But why is he chewing up this movie's runtime with a joke you heard in grade school? Meanwhile, at a local drug lord compound, we meet evil villain Bucho, played by Joaquim Delmeda, being evil. Yeah, so Buscemi is friends with El Mariachi. They're buddies. So when Buscemi was in there at the uh, El- at the Tarasco bar warning those dudes about El Mariachi, it was because El Mariachi wanted him to. Yeah, this was, this actually helped me correct a note that I had in the previous scene where I was initially thinking, really, biggest Mexican you've ever seen, but they acknowledge it here. It's like, all right. I may have laid it on a little thick and called you the biggest Mexican I've ever seen. So I, I, I like that they sort of, they, they touched base and were like, okay, I had to tell a tall tale before you arrived. And he's like, hey, man, but take it easy when you find those dudes. I don't want another bloodbath. Yeah. He's like, yeah, not like last time, but then they don't cut away. I guess Family Guy has warped my brain for stuff like this where I'm like, I would like to see that now. Hey, how come I'm not seeing that now? What, what happened? Why don't you see that now? Yeah, that is interesting. Now, David, when we finally get a look at El Mariachi standing up, his Mariachi-style jacket has got a scorpion on the back. I now will join this lawsuit against the movie Drive for having a scorpion-backed jacketed hero, unless Drive is part of the Mariachi-verse? Oh, maybe it is. or maybe Well, that makes sense. It's sort of a jacket-verse. I did a little research into what movies are part of what universe, because... In Spy Kids, they have an Uncle Machete, but like those movies are technically not part of the Spy Kids universe. But David, the El Mariachi-verse includes El Mariachi, Desperado, Once Upon a Time in Mexico, and then the movie Doubt, for some reason. That makes sense. About mm-hmm. uh, Meryl Streep and Amy Adams and Viola Davis investigating whether or not uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is a child molester. That's uh, shocking, but it make, it, yeah, it fits. When you, when you think about it, it fits. When you watch it again, it, you absolutely see it. It's like, how can you not see it? You know what I mean? <laughs> Speaking of things you can't help but see... Antonio Banderas's hair in this movie. How about that for a segue? But uh, Mac, this was driving me crazy. How did you feel about his hair in this movie? He's got a beautiful head of hair, Dave. What, what do you want me to say here? <laughs> it was too beautiful at times. Like <laughs> I wanted just sort of a, a thick grease, something that he could pull back into a, a ponytail without using a rubber band. But like at times it's so fluffy and rich. It looks like a, a prized dog at Westminster. And then sometimes when it's wet, he looks like Mama from Throw Mama from the Train. It's just, it was a, it was a little distracting, I guess, for me. I don't disagree with you, David. His, his head, it was, it was luxurious. It was luscious uh, mane on, on Tony B. And I think he actually did a good job of kind of like putting it over his eyes and kind of looking out from it, like mysterious style or when he needed to give like a threatening look. Uh, what I'm trying to say is, is uh, stay away from my woman, Antonio Banderas. <laughs> Too handsome. It might be an MP, not a YP, where I just, I'm predisposed to not like some of the aesthetic choices that Antonio Banderas makes throughout this movie. So we get our introduction to El Mariachi is, is the story that Sibusimi tells. And now we get a shot of the big bad guy, Bucho. Yeah, we're going to go to his adobe compound. This this looked like a nursery. I, it looked like, because we never see any interior shots of the house where he lives, I don't Ooh, think. We don't. So I really think they just got a hold of like a botanical garden and shot around it for a few days. God bless them. They made the most with what they had. That's funny. It's like some rich dude was out of town and they're just like, let's film outside his house for a week. You'll never notice. But David, I love this first shot of Bucho because when we see him, we see him from behind. 
And he's like Brad Wesley style, right? He's eating like a breakfast, but it's a busy breakfast, David. He's, he's doing business and he's on a uh, portable phone with a big antenna. In the same shot, he's got like tiers of underlings, like in the middle ground, flanking him on either side are his lieutenants, I guess. And then in the background, farther in the frame, you see like people gathered around like some pit fighters or whatever people like doing. It wasn't a pit, I guess it was like a ring, yeah. but like a makeshift ring of people like fighting each other. And just like this opening shot, it was like, well, this dude's a kingpin. Are you what you see the thing like this shot matters like he put some thought into this this is how we're meeting his character for the first time this is great and Robert Rodriguez where is this today I just mm-hmm. don't feel like he gives a shit uh, perhaps he doesn't but the, you know I, I, enough <laughs> <laughs> but then again it's also the tricky gambit of do you want to sit through another Once Upon a Time in Mexico doing another Shark Boy and Lava Girl that's what this dude does in his free time David it's trash it's trash <laughs> all right David real quick what do these uh, pieces of filmed entertainment have in, have in common Desperado Clear and Present Danger. Fast Five, and the TV show 24. I know this. This is going to be our star villain, Joaquin Dalmeida. Yeah, he plays a drug lord in all of those movies. David, and I didn't even look those up. Those are just off the top of my head. (laughs) I feel like we owe this dude. Like, he is just putting in the work here, playing these, like, kind of token roles. I mean, here's the thing. He's real good at it because he has, like, this deep voice, and he can just, he's, you know, got a little bit of, like, a you know, like a sinister edge in, a, in an interesting way to him. But David, I owe this dude. I got to go. I'm going to look up a movie that he is in or a project where he plays not a drug lord just because I need to experience that. Because this guy's been, you know, he's been being murdered by Harrison Ford and Kiefer Sutherland for our sins. And so I feel like I owe it to him to see a non-drug lord role. When I was watching this with uh, with the bombshell, she was like, I know this guy, but how do I know him? He's in a, a show I'm not familiar with called Warrior Nun, which is out these days. Uh, he he plays like yeah. the Pope in that. Warrior Nun based on uh, an Antarctic Press comic, which is a San Antonio-based comic book company. Is that right? Yeah, isn't that nuts? Isn't that nuts? Oh, but fun fact, David, the role of Bucho was actually supposed to go to Raul Julia, but then he died. No. His final role, David, instead of being overlapping with the work of a very prolific Latino director. Instead, it was, of course, playing M. Bison in the Street Fighter movie starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. R.I.P. Raul Julia, you deserve better. <laughs> it's the choices you make in life, Mac. Going back to this pit, that or this not pit, but it's definitely, I'll call it a pit. It's where fights happen. But there's someone in there in the ring, and he's just like, Docker's in a t-shirt. Like, who's this guy? And that's that's going to be, I'm going to be doing Bucho throughout this episode. And it's like, oh, this is my sister's nephew. Mac, is this a joke or is this a mistake? You know, I thought about that. And my first thought was like, oh, that's kind of funny. But then you know what? It could be his sister's husband's nephew. And so like, you know, not because, yeah, the joke is like, it's my sister's nephew. Wait, you mean your kid? <laughs> but it could be a nephew in the other direction if his sister's married. Perhaps. I, I just also wondered, you know, dealing with Brad Wesley and his only sister's son, I wonder if villains just have a hard time with familial relations. It's it's very possible. But David, I'll tell you what it definitely is. It's some fake-ass fighting. Because when we see this nephew, like, training against this other guy, it's like the, like, they, it looks like they didn't really practice it. Like, you're just like, all right, pretend to fight real quick. Like, it just, I was like, what are you guys doing? Yeah. But uh, Bucho's not impressed. He's like, wait, you want this guy to work for me? No, no, no. This, he can't fight this uh, shrimp. He's got to fight Christos here. It's like, Christos, get in there. And then the other fight like stops and these dudes immediately like high five each other. Like, oh, that was fun. It was like, yeah. you guys clearly were not fighting. You would like <laughs> work this out at a time or maybe you were just catching up. I don't know. But Christos, David, he looks like that dude uh, who got uh, who ate a propeller in Raiders of the Lost Ark. 
Yeah, he's like a smoothed out sloth from the Goonies. He's he's a very curious looking fella played by Christos, uh, I believe is uh, is his actual name in the credits. But this poor nephew, because he goes from like, yeah, like you said, he's sparring with this dude. And, you know, they're they're having, you know, kind of their GG's good game. And then here comes Christos. And then right here during this fight is where we get that famous line that I love so much and I've remembered for nearly 30 years. We'll have a dance again. There it is. And David, does he say that because Christos like uh, like broke this kid's shin? Or is it because the kid has guilty feet that have no rhythm? Mac, I'm going to go with the latter. That makes sense to me. All jokes aside, I wish we'd gotten more of a backstory on this kid. Because he does kind of hang around throughout the movie. And, and there could have been an opportunity here to be like, oh, look, this, here's a kid. He got caught up in cartel violence. Like the way that you know young people view this as an out. I don't know. Like it might be like a child soldier kind of vibe or something. I don't know. I'm out of my league now. But <laughs> instead, uh, this meaningless character, spoiler alert, dies a meaningless death later in the movie. And we've learned nothing about him. I wish we had had more of a, uh, an arc with him. I wish that it felt like we were so close to having the Rose McGowan Planet Terror, uh, My Leg Is Now a Gun. I feel like if we just had a little more budget, we could have gotten that a few years earlier. Is that is that movie good? No. Have you seen Planet Terror since we saw it originally? No, I haven't. I would. I'd be curious to watch um, Death Proof again. Ooh, Death Proof. Maybe that. Maybe my tolerance for that part where they just uh, talk at a table for forty five minutes uh, is because <laughs> I mean the ending of that movie is great. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Anyway, uh, yeah, maybe I guess we have to watch Death Proof now. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> but David, this fight is underwhelming, and I can't figure out why. And I, I watched it twice. Because we just watched Roadhouse not too long ago. And Roadhouse had some really basic like fighting in it. But the fighting was like really satisfying. And it seemed like a lot of this fighting was happening like directly to the camera. Mm. Like, well, not directly, but like I'd I'd punch a character and he would kind of go towards the camera. Like the action was more or less happening in the camera's direction. And what I, I think Roadhouse did, and this movie does not do, by choosing kind of a, a like a wider angle of the action, like not having it come right to camera. I think you gave the person getting hit, the stunt actor getting hit, chance to sell the blow a little bit more. Because now there's just something about it where it just it didn't seem real. I mean, I, I get that like stuff coming at the camera, that's kind of dynamic, but it didn't give the actor space to lend some authenticity to getting punched. I'm thinking way too much about a throwaway fight. Perhaps. You know, I think this movie sort of revels in its drive-in movie quality and i think included in that is a lot of the production and filmmaking techniques you know this movie feels a lot like a 70s movie uh throughout this movie really and how inexpensive it is and how low effort it is but speaking of roadhouse i praise that movie's sound effects punch sound effects for sounding like uh punch sound effects should in movies but let's listen to a couple punches in this thing David, these sound like cartoon punches to me. I feel like they need to dial it back just a little bit. Very much so. But again, I think this movie sort of revels in that. I think it revels in, hey, we got, uh, what do you call it, royalty-free audio. So let's yeah. go ahead and use the <laughs> shit out of it. Sound dogs. We, we got something <laughs> off of you or whatever. But now we cut back to the Tarasco bar where two people entered. One I've never seen before in my life, and the other I've seen way too much of. It's Quentin Tarantino. Yeah, he's going to come in, chew the heck out of this scenery. Like, man, so... He starts to tell this joke to just sort of filibuster while, you know, he's getting his bona fides checked out by uh, Cheech Marin and Tavo. But this was a nice little break because, you know, normally when I'm watching these movies, I'm taking, you know, pretty active, meticulous notes. But for this, I was just like, I could put the pencil down. I know he's going to chew up about two minutes of screen time for this one. 
yeah, I mean, watching this thing now, it's like, why the fuck is Quentin Tarantino in this thing? You could trim the scene right out. But I mean, you know, we were, what, a year or two years removed from Pulp Fiction. And, you know, Quentin Tarantino back in this time was, he was exciting. And so seeing him on screen, there was a little, I, I remember being excited to see him because it felt weird. It felt weird to see this movie, which, you know, this like action kind of Western film. And all of a sudden here comes this film nerd hipster director who just shows up. It just seemed like, whoa, this is this is not what I'm expecting out of this kind of movie. And it, it felt fresh at the time. But yeah, I mean, now at this point, uh, no thanks. And also Quentin Tarantino speaking Spanish, that doesn't need to happen. Can we make him stop? That did not sound good. No, this was really like, I mean, because this was back when Tarantino, and I hate using this comparison with stuff, but he was a he was a rock star at the time. He was on talk shows. People couldn't get enough of him. He was this electric presence. So to see him in this low-budget movie and to sort of lend credence to this movie and this filmmaker was very exciting. Yeah, and before we got to see the Avengers all showing up in each other's movies, this kind of felt like it. Like it felt like a you know, kind of a, a cinematic universe that was kind of like behind the camera, if you will. The fact, the way that these guys collaborated on films. And so, uh, yeah, it was, I remember being, thinking it was really cool to see him, but not no mo, get out of here. <laughs> it also, it, there's an, a little unnecessary part here where right before QT enters, right before Tarantino comes in, uh, we have this sort of like customer service moment with Cheech and some unhappy customers here. Yeah. The gal complains, she's like, your beer tastes like piss. And yeah, so, this is like an American tourist. I guess the implication here is that this is a town that gets some American tourists because we see some like college kids come in later to the same bar. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Um, and so she's like, your beer tastes like piss. And he's like, well, that's because we piss in it. And other things, too. And the bombshell, she loves our permission slips. She loves <laughs> the concept of them. She loves doling them out. And as soon as he said that, she was like, sign them up. Let's get them out of here. <laughs> so in case you missed the episode where we described it, permission slip is when a character in a movie says or does something to now where you can watch them be murdered guilt-free. You know, like, <laughs> like in the movie Pastor 57, there was this FBI agent who was guarding a psychopath. And you're like, well, this guy seems like he's trying to keep us safe or something. I don't want him to die. And then he makes some lewd comment about a stewardess. And you're like, oh yeah, shoot this fucker in the face. You know, but meanwhile, all this stuff is going on in the bar and we see, uh, you know, we see real briefly before we get here, Danny Trejo's hitching a ride into town. Mac, what is Danny Trejo doing here? I don't know, but I'm excited. It's a youngish, but still oldish looking Danny Trejo looking very fit with short hair. He's got that classic Danny Trejo face, which is if you tell a six-year-old to draw a bad guy, they draw Danny Trejo. <laughs> but I'm excited to see him. I love Danny Trejo. But did we also see El Mariachi hanging out with a little kid? He's like teaching him how to play guitar, but uh, uh, his hands hurt, David. He can't really play guitar anymore because El Mariachi was shot in the hands or shot through the hands. Or one hand? Well, he got his hand blown clean off in the first movie, and so now he just got uh, a shot through it in this oh, one. Oh, yeah, because in the flashback they restage. It shows that his hand just uh, blew a, a hole in it, like Jesus. Because <laughs> yeah. if you remember when Jesus was on the cross, before he went up, Pontius Pilate blew holes with a shotgun in his uh, hands and feet. I don't hate that version. Oh, here we go. No, it, I think Mel Gibson would have shot that film if he if he could have. While the pickup guy, that is how Quentin Tarantino's character is named in the credits. While pickup guys led to a hidden room in the bar, the mariachi enters the bar for an action set piece we'll call Shootout at El Tarasco. The mariachi makes quick work of the world's most terrible shots and leaves a note for Bucho. Uh, yeah, this um, this is cool. <laughs> this 
you know, uh, it's just fun action. He's really good at, at shooting just, we're in a room, we've got a bunch of guns, and we've got a bunch of dudes. Let's lay waste to these dudes. He, he's very good at this. Yeah, so he enters the bar, and Cheech Marin, uh, the bartender, is like, well, hold on, hold on. we got to make sure you're not this mariachi assassin we've heard about. Open up your guitar case. And they open it up, and there's just a guitar there. And they're like, oh, okay. You can drink all you want. We were worried you were like that dude. And El Mariachi's like, no, I get it. I get it. And then David, it's not a guitar in that case. It's just the top of a guitar because that opens up and there's a shit ton of guns underneath. And everyone's like, oh, what? Antonio Banderas, he's charming in this movie, man. He's like, okay, it is me. It is me. But I mean, just look, we don't have to do this, guys. We don't. My beef is not with you. And then it's off to the races. And the way he uh, starts the gunplay in this movie is he's got those little like... um things under his like tied to his wrist you know what i'm talking about oh the click clicks yeah 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 there's kind of like gun launchers that can like hide underneath a coat sleeve and so with a move of your wrist the gun slides from like uh the middle of your fore- inner forearm into your hand and you're ready to murder yeah they're very helpful and and so you know they click click you know right into his hands he he spins a guy who's uh who's charging at him and then a table full of card players stands up they shoot the guy instead of the body actually, you know, the guy spinning. They shoot him and said, this is all very fun. This is fun stuff. Yeah, super fun stuff. And at some point, he's on top of the bar, El Mariachi. And, you know, look, I love an action scene that uses that surroundings. It's an interesting kind of shot because there's like a back of the bar area in the front. And he's kind of going back and forth between the two. Like they play a little bit with the depth of the set, I guess, the bar set, whether it's a constructed set or not. It was cool. And I was already getting excited. And then he started doing that like, as if you would flick a wrist to cast like a fishing line or something. Mm-hmm. He was flicking his wrist to fire the guns, like bip, 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 bam, kind of like, a, I don't know, it was like playing the drums. And just that kind of like little like stylistic flourish, that pushed me over the top and I'm marked out. It's my first mark out moment because this gunfight was a lot of fun. You know, Mac, I, I like the the click clacks. I like the wrist, uh, the wrist launchers, I guess is what I'll call them for the guns. But stuff like this just kind of made me want to watch a John Woo movie instead. That's no knock on this movie, but I, I also know that this exists in a movie that uses it better. So that that's unfair of me, but at the same time, uh, we we should do another John Woo movie very soon. I don't think it's unfair because I also thought about John Woo. This action feels very similar and, and the tone of the movie kind of felt very similar. And I was trying to like differentiate it. Like, how would I describe it? It's like, all right, well, John Woo, his movies are very, and his action movies are very dramatic. But it's like, well, this movie is also very dramatic. And it, I was, it's like, well, John Woo, his action movies, there's like a lot of emotion. And I was like, well, this also has a lot of emotion, but just felt different. And the term I want to go for, I think, is that John Woo is a little bit more operatic in his movies and tone and the action than this. This might, I mean, it's not operatic. It feels more like uh, maybe, you know, not to be too on the nose, but like a, a sensual love song played on an acoustic <laughs> guitar or something. Ooh. But yeah, I mean, they, it, it feels like very similar. Yeah, there, there's like a gauziness to John Woo movies that is missing here. But there, but yeah, I think there, there really is something very similar. But you know, but the thing they have in common, like you said, you know, the the action is fun. This is going to be my first mark out moment here, where there's a moment where uh, Mariachi's on the ground and a guy jumps at him with knives in each hand, and so Mariachi like kicks, you know, essentially, you know, uh, leg presses him, you know, mm-hmm. feet into the into the belly pushes him off, shoots him while he's in the air. Stuff like this is really great. There's also um, this scene in particular, we just talked about how they're using bad sound effects in some of the fights. They're using really fun sound effects. It's not 
quite a Wilhelm scream, which I'm very happy about. Which I mean, by the way, for you know, for those of you not familiar, the Wilhelm scream is uh, a, a ubiquitous scream. It's used in a million things. In fact, let's play it real quick. There it is. So yeah, you've heard it before. You you remember it immediately. But the, then this movie is using stuff like this. And it's also that same kind of like, ah, you know, that yeah. same wackiness. <laughs> yeah. But it's not something I've heard a million times. I was so into it. Yeah. And you're right, David, about a couple of things here. One, the like leg press kill where he like launches him backward. And I don't know what, you know, I guess he had a wire tied to him or something. That was awesome. And you mentioned that the bad guys are the world's most terrible shots. Yeah. They're real terrible. In fact, El Mariachi's on a bar. He's not standing in front of like the liquor display where all the liquor bottles are. He's standing to the side of it. And so the bad guys pull out their automatic weapons, bep, 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 and they're shooting at El Mariachi, and they don't hit him, but all the bottles ex- next to him explode. First time I saw this, did not think twice about it, because I was like, yeah, uh, bullets are in a bar, they're going to hit bottles. But actually thinking about how that would work, it means if I'm aiming at someone who's five feet away from me, and I'm missing that person by five feet to the right, it really, really like stormtrooper level aim here. It's... It's pretty hilarious. Yeah, it's almost like you're trying to intimidate them or like shell shock them. It's like, look, I might not kill him, but years from now, he's going to hear a bottle smash and he's going to get all scared again. And so he <laughs> he's killing a bunch of people. And then at one point, he's going for a gun. He slides on one top of the bar and this like bookkeeper who came from the back. Oh, Quentin Tarantino got shot in the head. <laughs> R.I.P. QT. And this bookkeeper who came from the back, he slides on the same bar top and they meet in the middle. But David, when they have the guns at each other, click, click, they're both empty. Yeah, so they're going to go searching around the bar looking for other guns with ammo. This is a fun bit, too. Just, like, still trying to have the conversation, still trying to diffuse the situation, but also quickly reaching down and trying to find a gun, and it doesn't work, so let's try to find another gun, and let's reset. This is fun stuff. And right after their first encounter with empty guns, they're kind of, like, standing up, easing back, and you see the bookkeeper trying to, like, maybe maybe go for a gun, and then El Mariachi stops him, and listen to this. Hey, <laughs> strange. You want to go? Go. If you want to stay, relax. And I, something about that, just like a little bit of like sass, like, like if you want to go, go. Like, you know, but if you're going to stay, fucking fuck you. And yeah, they keep reaching for guns. They keep coming up empty. And eventually, El Mariachi gets so frustrated, he snaps his dude's neck. This scene might have actually had some tension if we weren't listening to this Bar Blues soundtrack by Los Lobos. Oh, Los Lobos, sorry. But this uh, music, uh, it might suck. It's, you know, when a director or a filmmaker has lousy taste in music, it can really hurt. You know, I think of like the Fairley Brothers and their love of soundtracks and like they try to have a tender moment and then suddenly Cake is playing. They're like, what the fuck are we doing here? It's like, this is this is a lot like that where there's moments that could be more effective, but then you got, no, thank you. Yeah, and it makes me wonder if Robert Rodriguez, who scored a bunch of movies himself, what he would have done with the scene. He probably would have just asked Los Lobos because that's what he fucking did. <laughs> but David, you know my number one choice for a soundtrack band. Of course, it's the band Goblin <laughs> <laughs> from Suspiria. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I just love saying Goblin. It's pretty great. The Mariachi is pursued by Tito from Roadhouse, but no time for that now. Here comes Salma Hayek as Carolina, causing a traffic accident in her first appearance on screen. The mariachi kills Tito and pulls the classic I'm bleeding out. I guess you'll have to take me home move with Carolina. And she does. So, Mac, this introduction to Carolina played by Selma Hayek and I believe her first like major American role. 
One of the all-time great character introductions. I mean, who else but Sam Hayek is going to cause a car accident in the middle of this empty city? David, I, this is another Mark Gatt moment for me. This is, I thought this was so funny and so great. I clapped my hands. I went, ha <laughs> then clap. I mean, look, it's Selma Hayek. I mean, I don't know what you want to say, but honestly, this is how she should be introduced in every movie she's in. <laughs> Just walk down the street and then some cars hit each other. It was, it was great. <laughs> yeah, she is a special effect in this movie. Yes. But then uh, El Mariachi is fighting with uh, Tito. Or Tavo? It doesn't matter. Ricky Ticky Ticky, the uh, effects <laughs> with the famous Rendry Kipling mongoose. I, I read somewhere that for the blood effects, they didn't use squibs. They used some device, basically like a shot blood at the actors. Oh, great. Okay. And so I guess that's what they did for the scene because when El Mariachi shoots Tavo, like up close, you know, point blank guns to his face, we get just a shot of El Mariachi and the blood hits his face. It was not a JFC. I didn't say Jesus fucking Christ, but literally out loud, I went, Jesus. Because the amount of blood that explodes onto this dude, it was a lot. This movie does like to use its blood. I'll give it credit for that. I mean, shit, at the beginning when the uh, in the opening song sequence, in the opening credits, when he does smack that guy with a knife with his guitar, like, it's just two cheeks full of blood. It's just a big league chew pouch full of blood coming out. It's so great. Yeah. <laughs> he had just taken a big swig of blood right before. <laughs> but then we cut to the bookstore, Carolina's bookstore. Yeah, where uh, the mariachi is being stitched up at the bookstore by Catalina. Uh, meanwhile, Bucho arrives at the bar to find all of his men dead, but no money stolen. Time to run back home real quick and round up a new batch of stooges to send to their deaths. But when Bucho walks outside, he hears a kid playing a tune on a guitar. It was the same kid that El Mariachi was teaching earlier before his hands gave way. Yeah, I, you know, I like how angry he gets, just like, or how irritated he gets, like, why are children playing music in this town? But then it's also like, I wonder if that's a tip for later, where he doesn't like his brother, his brother's a musician, therefore he doesn't like music. But then I also like the idea that, meanwhile, behind Bucho's back, the mariachis in town, like, inspiring music in everybody. It's like a Mr. Holland situation, where later they're all going to band together and be like, we learned this song for you, mariachi, and like, I, I want that movie. But you also kind of described the plot of the Pixar film Coco, which is it's kind of funny. <laughs> this movie is Coco adjacent. But David, while Bucho is in the bar surveying the damage, some more uh, fucking white tourists come in to like drink at this bar. Okay, now that you mention it, I am starting to get more of a sense that this is, this is sort of like a quick, you know, across the border, we're underage or we're college kids, let's go drinking. But like... The dynamics of this town are really curious for me. The size of this town is really curious to me because, like, it feels like a town square. It feels like Stars Hollow in uh, Gilmore Girls where everything's just sort of like this two-block radius. Like, the layout of this town and the people in it really fascinates me. Yeah, and again, it reminds me of Roadhouse, which the town of Jasper, Missouri, would, like, shrink or embiggen, uh, <laughs> shrink or enlarge, uh, depending on what the script needed at that very moment. But also, look, I don't want to make fun of these kids because I think they do seem like legitimate kids. But at the same time, where do they cast this movie? Nerd Central? Look at these kids. These don't look like let's head down to TJ and party kids. These ones, I, I felt like they were on like a mission trip or something. Okay, I didn't want to point anything out. I don't want to be ever be cruel about a performance or anything like that. But the first group of unhappy college kids that we see, the you know, the beer tastes like piss people. The other two gals flanking the lady talking are the most dead-eyed actors I've ever seen in my life. They do not move. They do not react. It's great. They're mannequins. They they seem like they're definitely in their 20s, so I feel like it's open season on making fun of them. But meanwhile, yeah, you know, we go back to the bookstore. Carolina's stitching up 
uh, the mariachi, she's reading one of her books and learning how to do surgery real quick. And then, you know, they're having a casual conversation, kind of a getting to know you. It's, it, it works for me. They have a chemistry together. Uh, but there's a moment where Carolina's smoking a cigarette while she's doing surgery and then puts it out on his wound to sort of cauterize it. Now, for the movie's sake, that is very cool, but it's not safe. And it's also very not cool. Like, there are other ways to do that. You yeah. know, hell, he didn't iron up. Like, but the cigarette, that's that's dirty. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting little interplay there because she lights up a cigarette and on her she's like, goes, you smoke? Which, kind of a dumb question. But then she's like, no. And then puts a cigarette out on his arm. I mean, right from the get-go, uh, these kids like it rough, I guess, is, <laughs> is what they're doing. But then we cut back to the bar. These two goons are left to mop up the blood of the bar. While they're mopping up the blood, and then Danny Trejo enters the bar to just kind of like survey what's going on here. And he's like fingering one of his throwing knives, you know, like kind of uh, just flipping around his fingers. And one of the mop goons looks at, up at him and he's like, hey, we're closed. Go on, get out of here. And then uh, in a shocking turn of events, Danny Trejo's character does not immediately murder him, which, man, I want to know this dude's story of the mop goon. Because you look at Danny Trejo, he's fingering a throwing knife. You could he's seconds away from murdering someone. You just you just know it by looking at him. And the fact that you look at this dude and you go, get out of here. Is this mob goon the dumbest character alive or the ballsiest character alive? No, he's having the worst day at work. And if you've ever worked like a shit job, like a service industry job or something like that, and you end up in the weeds and, and then like some poor guest out of nowhere is just like, excuse me, sir, can I just get a little and he's like Fuck off! I'm cleaning shit out of a toilet right now. Like I've certainly been there. Oh, okay. Well, then I, I guess there's this backstory. I didn't need it. Well, because it's also like this mopping job. This is the least effective mop water in the world. It's like just pour the bucket onto the floor and or just walk away. Open up a new bar somewhere else in town. This floor is a lost cause. But then back to the compound real quick. Bucho needs to gather up more men. They also bring out like this attack limo that they got uh, fitted with. Like it's got turrets in the windows and then it's got even a sunroof uh, that's got bulletproof glass and Bucho he's having a bad day too so his goons are all happy about this bulletproof glass in the limo so he tests it out he pulls out a gun and shoots it and startling everybody I love that that's really great yeah the idea of like alright we'll test it out if it's bulletproof it's bulletproof if not I'll fucking kill this guy I don't care there's also a scene here with some amazing one-sided phone acting. You know what I mean? <laughs> Real Pop Newhart. Yeah, like, bring, hello, the police? That's who you are? Like, <laughs> I forget what he says. But there's basically like, uh, he's talking to, I guess, uh, some Colombians or, or some some larger cartel. And he's like, hello, what? You sent someone down here to check things out? Who? What does he look like? What? You're telling me what he looks like? It's just, it's great. And he tries to, but the his lieutenants take off in this car. It's bulletproof car. And after getting off the phone, he's like, what's the number in my car? What's the number of my car phone? And nobody knows. And he gets super pissed. David, what was the point of the scene of him getting super mad about no one knowing the number of his car phone? I think that was just a gag that Robert Rodriguez wanted to shoehorn into this movie. It felt like sort of a relatable slice of life gag from the 90s where it's like, you know, I had a car phone installed in my car the other day. I don't even know the phone number. So, like, I just think it was one of those. Yeah, because did they even mention the car has a phone? I mean, if they did, I guess maybe they could be like, oh, why doesn't he just call the car? And Rob Rodriguez is like, well, he didn't know the number. It's like, well, do we tell the audience that? It's like, we'll tell him for three minutes here. So after some recovery slash flirting, El Mariachi's like, uh, Carolina, did I thank you for stitching me up? And she's like, no. And he's like, I will. Gotta go to church. And so he's going to go to church. He's going to go to confessional. 
where Buscemi tells him, you're getting too out of hand, daddy-o. I'm out, man, before you get someone killed. Moments later, Buscemi is killed by Navajas, the man with many knives. Oh, that's Danny Trejo. Yeah, there you go. Navajas closes in on the mariachi, but Bucho's men make depressingly quick work of Navajas and take him back to Bucho's compound. So, hello, Danny Trejo. Rest in peace, Danny Trejo. David, let me check my notes. I wrote down here, Danny Trejo dies like that Boo-Snino's, I think. Yes, what the fuck? Like, you have El, El Mariachi come and he kills Tibusimi, which I thought was cool, even though I hate to see him go. I like that kind of dangerous feel that the movie has where death is going to come fast and it doesn't always make sense, right? And I guess when he throws his throwing knives, which are not very big knives at Steve Buscemi, I guess he hits his off buttons because Steve Buscemi, it's not like he's like, oh, I'm wounded, I'm bleeding out. He hits him with a couple of knives. He's like, oh, I'm dead. But yes, the fact that Danny Trejo, aka Navajas, is killed by Bucho's men and never really has a proper fire with El Mariachi. What the fuck are we doing here? Yeah, this movie's really good at underusing its talent and its gimmicks. Like, I think that's kind of the problem with Robert Rodriguez in general. He thinks in terms of scenes instead of in terms of stories. So, like, he'll have a cool moment here and there, but he won't know what to do with the life of this thing. So, in this instance, he thinks Danny Trejo is cool. He thinks this, you know, this vest covering up this belt of knives is really cool. But beyond that, he doesn't know what to do with them. So, he just makes quick work of him. It, it's really, it's unfortunate. Do you think that there's any chance that he was thinking, okay, Danny Trejo's character is a clear, like, mid-level boss that, you know, El Mariachi's going to have to fight, like, right before he fights the big bad guy. Do you think that killing him like this was Robert Rodriguez subverting expectations at all? 100%. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think the same thing with Buscemi. You know, it's it comes at a time that feels a little on the nose, but he did want Buscemi out of the way early because you weren't expecting Buscemi out of the way early. Yeah. I think there's a lot of that with this script. Well, in that case, he outsmarted himself because boo, you fucked up. We needed more Trejo in our lives. It would have been nice to have more Trejo. It would have been nice to have more Buscemi. I feel like this is an abrupt exit for him. I like him being the mariachi's Jiminy Cricket. I like him being the conscience. So to lose him this prematurely is a little unfortunate. But their meeting in the church, Mac, help me out here. Our church is always open 24 hours in real life. I feel like we saw it with Punisher Warzone with that 3 a.m. neon church. But, like, can you just walk into a church at any time? Hmm. I think some churches, yes. You can just walk into Catholic churches, uh, especially during the day. Now, could you enter the confessional without anyone bothering you? Maybe. I don't know. It seems like that happens a lot in movies, and I guess it happened in this one. And Busimi, yeah, he's, you know, minutes away from dying here, but... He chastises El Mariachi for a bloodbath, and he warns him not to fuck around with Bucho. Yeah, because he's been doing some research. He says, I've done some checking around, and he's not someone you want to mess with. And it's like, we know. We're already on board with who Bucho is. Like, not just, you know, the movie, but like, Mariachi, this universe. We all know that Bucho's bad. Yes, and I think actually here is the scene where Bucho is talking on the phone, having that one side of conversation, answering to, I guess, a, a like I said, a bigger boss or maybe... Because they, they talk in this movie, they're like, Bucho, the, we have to, the Colombians are keeping a close eye on us. So I guess the idea that this cartel ladders up to like the Colombian cartel. I remember being super excited about this, watching the movie in the moment back in 1995, because knowing that so far this movie feels a lot like El Mariachi beat for beat, so that, okay, if this is a sequel to that, and then there's someone above Bucho. Oh, we're getting a trilogy, not knowing that years later we would get a trilogy. David, do you remember how you felt about Once Upon a Time in Mexico, co-starring Johnny Depp? 
I remember wondering what I was going to get to eat after the movie. It was just like I was I was fidgety in my seat. I do remember walking out of that thing being real mad about it. I don't remember why exactly. <laughs> Maybe I wanted it to be good. But then, yeah, Trejo comes. He kills some people, and he injures uh, El Mariachi. And then you get some like losing blood edits here. We get an edit where you see El Mariachi stumbling around, and it dissolves to the same shot, but now he's further down in the alley. And you're like, man, this guy... He's woozy and looking and losing a lot of blood. Look at these edits. <laughs> yeah, he's like ketchup squirting blood onto the wall as he drags his arm along it. And it's, you know, I, I can't help but smile on behalf of the kid who's making low budget movies in their backyard doing the exact same blood effects. Yeah, it's pretty cool. But David, the reason why Albucha's men kill Danny Trejo's character is they don't know that he's a cartel assassin. They think he might be El Mariachi. They think he might, because they don't know him. He's not. An, he's an outsider that's dangerous. And so so when they kill this dude, Bucha's men think that, hey, we did an awesome job. We killed the dude you're looking for. Yeah, they're super happy about it. This movie gets to wrap up early. So Bucho's men bring the body of Navajas back to Bucho. But uh-oh, turns out Navajas was one of Bucho's boss's men. Who is micromanaging Bucho? Meanwhile, on a very special Desperado, the Mariachi teaches a little boy that drugs are bad. Uh, once again, Mac, how big is this town? It takes nothing to get around. Like, they kill Navajas, they kill Danny Trejo, and then they're back at the compound within minutes. Mac, does this take place under the dome? Oh, maybe. Maybe Desperado is an experiment by alien children. I think that was the reveal of that show and or book. Uh, but yeah, David, you know, it's almost like the last season of Game of Thrones. We're getting places real quick now. Yeah, you know, the, the Navajas reveal, you know, when they take him back to the compound and and Bucho's on the phone, and he re- realizes this is his boss's guy. Yeah. Okay. This felt unnecessary. How dare you? How dare you? Stop right there. I love this scene. I love this scene. Because he goes, he's like, oh, you're, you're man. You're going to describe him to me, right? Uh, what does he look like? And they're bringing out Day Trejo's corpse. He's like, uh, dark hair, dark skin, I figured. Which, I don't know why. That made me laugh. And he's like, he's wearing uh, all black leather, huh? And then sure enough, he's wearing a black leather. And he's like, got a tattoo in his chest of a woman. And then they open up. The vest, and then sure enough, Danny Trejo's got a woman tattooed on his chest, and he's like, uh, what kind of weapons does he have? And then on the phone, he's like, oh, throwing knives, you say. And they see that Danny Trejo has a bunch of throwing knives, and then here we go, David. I think this might have been the one took over the line. He's like, you say in his pockets he's got a bunch of uh, payphone money so he can call you with updates, and they empty his pockets and it's full of coins. <laughs> David, do not let this scene end, because we are one beat away from, like, naked gun. He could have been like... Uh, and he's got a backpack full of his favorite books, and they pull it out. It's just like he's got them. He's like Anne of Green Gables, and like you, know, you see, sure enough, he's got a copy of Anne of Green Gables. I just wanted more like completely accurate details because I don't know, like pockets full of payphone <laughs> money. Why would you give that detail to somebody? You say he's brought a three foot party sub to eat over the course of a week, and just like drags it out of the, the backpack. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay, I'm in this. I'm gonna need to know the toppings on this sub. Provolone, okay. Banana peppers, sure. Cheese whiz, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I that made me laugh. That that was that was stupid, though, David. You're not wrong about that. Fair enough. But again, you know, going back to like Robert Rodriguez thinks in scenes. It's a funny scene. Don't get me wrong. I was entertained by it, but in this movie, like standing in the lineup with every other scene in this movie, I don't know, homie. Yeah, and then we cut to more of El Mariachi talking to this kid who he tried to teach guitar a little bit, and they're just like chewing the fat. And I got to say this, this movie does have like an indie feel to it, like a 90s indie feel, because we're just talking to each other, man. There's not, there's not a lot going on, I guess. It does. This is a big budget, low budget movie. This is like, 
a 76-page script that gets padded out and it's got some filler in it. And that's fine. You know, like I said, I think Robert Rodriguez embraces that quality of this movie. It just happens to be a $7 million budget. But it's also like, you know, they take nothing and turn it into something, I guess, because the little kids across the street talking to the mariachi is like, you know, come see my guitar. I've been practicing. I want to play for you. And the mariachi's hurt. He's bleeding out. So the kid starts to cross the street without looking both ways. And here comes a truck. So it's just, you know, this movie finds affordable ways to keep you awake. Not that I'm, I'm criticizing it. I, I find it admirable. And then we see a car pull up, suspicious looking car, and it swaps guitars with this kid. El Mariachi makes eye contact with the guys in the car, obvious drug dealers. And the uh, drug dealer starts to pull a gun. And then El Mariachi, like he pulls the gun first. He's like, no, 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 no. And there's something that he oddly excels at in this movie, which is yelling at people while holding a gun on them. He does it in a way where he's not like, there's no grandstanding, like your move asshole or something like that. He's holding a gun and you always get the sense that he's got a purpose. That purpose is for you to fuck off. Like I'm not holding a gun on you because I'm about to deliver a cool line. I'm holding a gun on you because I'm about to kill you asshole. Like so yeah. fucking stop. But then he's like, little kid, what do you get out of this? Why are you trading, uh, participating in this drug trade? And the kid who previously mentioned that his dad used to be a musician, a mariachi, but he couldn't find work as the mariachi. So now his dad just sits at home and watches TV. So the mariachi's like, what do you get out of this kid? What does your dad get out of this? And the kid goes, well, now my dad doesn't have to work. He can just sit at home and watch TV. David, of course, I don't want nothing to do with illegal uh, drugs, especially the, the trade of them. But when I found out if uh, my kid is just a little older, that I, if he does just trades guitars, I don't have to work and I can just watch TV all day? Drug trade, you say? Interesting. Man, I'm going to be teaching my kid the piano if that's the case. (laughs) (laughs) But David, one more thing about Bucho back at his compound. Here's the problem with modern movies, David, is with modern movies, they use what? Modern things like cell phones. And so you lose the joy of being so mad at your underlings, you get to hit them in the face with the antenna of a cordless phone. You just don't get that anymore, you know? The antenna of cordless phone, breaking an antenna off a car and whipping somebody with it. We've really lost antenna violence, and that's a that's a sad day for America. Yeah, it gets it across. It says, I'm fucking pissed, but I'm not uh, violently murdering you. I'm just whipping you with a very survivable antenna. Now, flash back to the flash forward, David. The mariachi's yelling at the little kid, and the little kid's like, what? Everyone does part of the drug trade. Just ask Carolina. She does it too. What? That's right. We got to go ask Carolina. So we're going to return to the bookstore and confront Carolina, who it turns out is also playing Bucho's dirty game of hide the drugs. But then Bucho arrives. And then the mariachi hides and takes an entire conversation to load his gun. But he misses Bucho by mere microseconds. Carolina offers to clean the mariachi's many wounds. And the mariachi returns the favor with sex. Boy, does he. Mac, I I echo your sentiments. I don't want to get involved in the illegal drug trade or anything Mm. like that. But Carolina is getting paid $50,000 a year to rent out her bathroom for people to drop off and pick up packages. This is a deal for me. My question is, David, this clandestine uh, drug trade, who are they hiding it from? There's no cops in this town. We've uh, dropped uh, double-digit bodies, I think. Yes, since El Mariachi's hit town, and I have yet to see a police officer. I don't think they give a shit about you guys handing packages to each other. Who are they hiding it from? Who is it going to? This entire town fits inside of a Burger King. Like, okay, you've got the bookstore that's a drug front. You've got the bar that's a drug front. You've got the guitar-playing kid that's a drug front. Like, this feels like the episode of Shit's Creek where everybody is a Mary Kay rep and they're just all selling to each other. Like, what's going on in this town? Yeah, maybe they're worried about other cartels because when their bar gets 
murdered by El Mariachi. They're like, he didn't take the money. So maybe they're like, oh, okay, we got to do this clandestine drug trade or somebody like El Mariachi, like an Omar from The Wire type will come in and take the drugs. But David, that's me doing the work for the movie, <laughs> which I have to say, movie, I never mind. You're welcome. Thanks for being so fun, movies. Uh, Babucho shows up in the middle of Mariachi yelling at Carolina. So, so Mariachi goes to hide. And then Bucho's having this you know, extended moment with Carolina. He's having a conversation. It really doesn't matter. It's basically just peas and carrots, peas and carrots, while Mariachi is behind the counter loading up his gun. But like, Bucho's starting to get the sense that he doesn't trust Carolina, and it's because she's so cold to him. And it's like, is she normally just like white hot horny for this guy? And he's like, wait a second, what's going on here? She's not splooshing all around town. What's going on? You pulled back from your kiss, Carolina. You seem a little on edge, whereas I am super playful and insinuating many things with my dialogue. You get the sense like hours later, he's like, he's there. She was hiding him. She was hiding him. <laughs> so yeah, something's up and he can't quite put his finger on it, even though he's directly asking about the thing he later puts his finger on, but whatever. But David, this scene really does feel like a play because the dialogue is just very kind of, you know, like performative. It's like everyone's kind of playing a little role at each other. But after Bucho leaves, let me ask you this, David. Do you think El Mariachi was able to hear Bucho's voice when he talked? No, I don't. I think he was too in his own world of loading the gun that he had no sense of what the conversation was or, or anything about it. Because later on, we find out El Mariachi knows Bucho, and you think he might have recognized his voice, but he doesn't. So after Bucho leaves, El Mariachi's still like super pissed at Carolina, and he's like knocking all her money around. At some point, he throws her money in the air. Dude, don't throw her money in the air. Okay, you know what I mean? She works hard for that money. Even if working hard is not doing a damn thing while well, like, uh, Drug trade uh, uses your bathroom. He's being a real fussy britches in this moment. Like he gets so mad that he puts his gun on the counter and like spins it. And I'm like, dude, that's a gun that could kill somebody. Relax. But then just so we don't forget that Bucho runs this town, he walks outside and he encounters a uh, a wedding parade, right? Yes, a wedding parade going down the street. So uh, what does Bucho do? He's a big man in town. He pulls out a big wad of money and hands it to the newlyweds. Mac, this is the scam right here. Are you kidding me? You want to fake a wedding parade, David? Mac, I want to fake several weddings a day. I want to like, you know, when it was the weekends at Sam's Club and you would try to get more samples by turning your hat backwards. I want to do this with Bucho like several times a day. But again, the, the size of this wedding parade makes me think this is a pretty big town. But I guess these people just walk into a portal or something after they leave. But David, this kind of feels like, I don't know if Robert Rodriguez stumbled across an actual wedding parade or something, but it... I remember uh, watching and remarking, oh, this feels very authentic. Dave, that's not something I've said about a Robert Rodriguez movie ever. So that is uh, <laughs> good for you. El Mariachi and Carolina retreat to her bedroom so she can treat his wounds and then they can treat each other's genitals like a jungle gym. Jeez. What do you think about the sex scene? Um, I didn't like sitting next to my parents. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I forgot about that part. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, this is very, you know, this is a spicy little sex scene. It's It's not graphic, but like... It's a little more real than I'm used to in a movie, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some thrusting in it. You also you get like some edits here. Like she's kissing. He's on top of her, but she's kissing down his stomach. It's like, okay, they're kind of entering a 69 position. But next thing you know, he's like, now he's now he's at her feet. And now he's over here. And like, I'm not setting myself for some like, uh, it's like, this guy puts a lot of effort into it. And then my battle axe of a wife on a sitcom show was like, <laughs> you should try it sometime, Steve, or something. But no, seriously, the edits, this dude was like running around the room, just cartoon-like trying to be like, I'm here. No, I'm here. I'm over here. But David, I read somewhere, uh, I think the Wikipedia, because that's my only real research for this film. 
that Salma Hayek like hated doing this, not hated doing it, but was like just super uncomfortable during the sex scene, not because anybody was a creep. She's like, actually, everyone was really nice. They closed the set except for uh, like only necessary crew. Robert Rodriguez, Robert Rodriguez's wife was there, but she just was like, I'm not used to taking off my clothes like this in front of people. And she would get like a second into it and start crying and have to restart it. But uh, I, I, I'm not saying it sound like a creep, but you couldn't tell from the scene. We, we kind of talk about this a lot about chemistry. Mm. I felt like these two did have some chemistry. Yeah, I agree. There was something intimate about it. It felt like pals shooting a scene. Uh, no, I didn't get that sense at all that she was uncomfortable. I thought she did a, a terrific job being naked and getting sexed on. Yeah, and I read somewhere that the codpiece gun belt that she finds earlier in the movie, which I think was a, the sex machine. That's right. Tom Savini uses in From Dust Till Dawn. She sees this, you know, as like a... Like a you know like a strap on harness, but instead it's got a gun uh, sticking out. That that gun goes off during the sex scene, but they cut it out of the script or something like that, or they cut it out of the edit. Uh, but yeah, even when you see them interact later outside the bedroom, they have a physicality with each other that like he shoves her at some point because she's you know getting in his face, and it's not like a like a aggressive or a physical shove. It doesn't feel like there's any menace or malice or like a physical threat behind it. But they they have a, a comfortableness with each other uh, on screen that it does feel like, you know, if these two aren't like intimate, you just get the, scene, the sense these two like each other. Yeah, no, there's there really is a chemistry here. It's that sort of simpatico feeling where like, if I slap you, it's because I want you out of the way to save you from a bigger danger. It's, you know, it's there's an understanding there that really works with these two. Yeah. And I think if the relationship on screen was not romantic, that they were just buddy buddy, that chemistry would still be there. And maybe it's just because. Salma Hayek and Antonio Banderas, when they're having fun, they're fun. So David, we cut from this sex scene, this very spicy one, to another sex scene. How would you describe this sex scene? Because it's bucho. I would describe this as troubling. It's like dark and dank and no one's having fun. It's a real bummer. Yeah, because Carolina and El Mariachi, that's hump city. But in this scene, Bucho's like sitting on the bed. He's not moving. His lieutenant is like on top of him. You get this and she's putting on a show for this dude. And he like, he's so bored by this. He's like smoking a cigar. He realizes that Carolina is hiding the mariachi in the bookstore. So it's time to burn the place down. The mariachi and Carolina escape with only their shoes and their lives. And hopefully the hundreds of thousands of dollars Bucho has given her over the years. The mariachi has an opportunity to kill Bucho from afar. But one look at Bucho in his sights and the mariachi has cold feet. Yeah, so back to the sex scene. When Bucho is done, this lady comes in for a kiss, but Bucho's having none of it. <laughs> he, he blows his cigar smoke into her mouth while they're kissing. It's not a good thing to do to another human being. I know these are both actors, but that is an awesome bad guy move. Yeah, it tells me this guy sucks and this guy's a shit. He sucks shit. So yeah, so he he orders some guys to go to the bookstore and burn it down and, and you know find Carolina and the mariachi and kill them. So Carolina's, you know, singing a song to to mariachi they're just kind of enjoying a tender moment in the bedroom post-sex and you see outside the windows the guys are advancing they're lurking you know mariachi pulls out his guns he sees them he's trying to line up his sights and his sights line up to where he's gonna have to shoot carolina in order to shoot these guys so he kind of kicks her out of the way yeah because el mariachi is doing this like silently because he doesn't want to make a noise and alert the bad guys he's onto them and carolina's so into the music she's playing with her eyes closed because he's being so quiet she doesn't uh, realize that he's got guns out. And then, yeah, yes, the bad guys align themselves to where Carolina's right in the middle. So instead of being like, move or something, he just kicks her right off the bed. Yeah, this movie is filled with moments that work, but don't work, but work. Because stuff like this is like, this is a cool moment in the movie. But at the same time, 
you could also tell her. You could also find a nonverbal way to communicate this. But at the same time, it is cool for the movie. Yes. And here we have another action set piece, David Libros in Fuego, because this bookstore gets burned down and exploded, too. Yeah, you know, this is a pretty good sequence. You know, the the stunts again in this movie or the use of the of the stunt actors. Good glass use, everybody's smashing through windows, good squib use, or people are exploding here and there. I, I I like this sequence. Yeah, the action is fun and also a mariachi and Carolina are kind of like taking their time and doing a little bit of like moonlighting dialogue back at each other. And Carolina, she can only grab the closest shoes to her and they don't match. And he's looking at her, putting on these two mismatched shoes. He's like, you look great. Can you hold this for a second? Like, he's just very calm and collected. And then some dude comes at them on some stairs. And El Mariachi shoots this guy. And the guy's like, ugh, and he falls down the stairs. And as this dude has already been shot, it's falling down the stairs past El Mariachi. As his body passes him, El Mariachi shoots him again. <laughs> and I loved it. That was another mark out moment for me. Shooting a dude to be like, fuck you already. Like, I don't know. It was great. If I remember it correctly, it's actually a little bit better than than you remember it because it's Carolina that does the initial shot. So then for the guy to fall down the stairs and then Mariachi to kind of have like the, yeah, and stay there. That, like, it's it's really great. Oh, you're correct. That is great. Tur, then I remember it. You know, having fun with this sequence, the only thing that I, that loses me is the, the scene we remember from the trailers where uh, Carolina and the Mariachi, they go to the roof and they decide to jump from one roof to the other. They throw the guitar case and then Mariachi's about to jump and some goons approach from behind him. So he turns around, leaps backwards about 20 feet across from one building to the other, firing the whole time. It's cool, but it's not, but it's cool. Like, that's a cool scene for a movie. There's no fucking way I believe it. There's no way in the world this is going to happen, but it's cool for a movie. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, the poster for, I don't know if it was the poster or the trailer, but for the movie Skyscraper with The Rock. He's got to make some like crazy jump across like a skyscraper and some physics guy like, okay, here's how far the rock would actually jump. And he would, he would have died. Like there's no way in hell he's making a <laughs> jump, not even fucking close. So yes, El Mariachi jumping backwards and shooting up as he's falling and killing some dudes is fucking cool looking. It's probably stupid, but yes. And these bad guys, though, uh, we're in luck because they have more stormtrooper like aim. But as El Mariachi grabs Carolina by the hand and they walk away that's when the bookstore explodes. So David, you get a classic, awesome shot of, it's like the Lonely Island guy said, cool guys don't look at explosions. You know what I mean? And there's an explosion going beyond them and they do not look at it. And it's a really awesome shot. If it wasn't in the trailer, then I don't know why we make trailers. But David, and then from that scene, it just fades to black. And then when we fade back in, they're on the same roof. So even though there's an explosion behind them with a lot of like cool steely-eyed determination, they were walking away from that explosion. They walked all of like six feet. I think they were just walking in a circle to try to get the right daylight for this amazing shot. Like, yeah, because they don't go anywhere. You're absolutely right, but I, you can't waste a good explosion. And it happened so fast. I don't even think I got to finish saying the word cool. Like when they're walking <laughs> away from the explosion, I went, cool. And then you see they walked away six feet. It's like, cool, yeah. Here's the thing. Like, it, it wasn't quite a mark out moment for me. It's... It is an iconic explosion. Like, I think it's the thing people remember from the movie more than the movie. It's You see it in, like, super cuts of stuff. I didn't quite mark out. Salma Hayek looks so cool in this shot. But for me, Antonio Banderas, and in a lot of this movie, he looks like a real dope. Mac, is is the mariachi cool in this movie? Hmm. Yes. I did not have that same problem. I thought he did look cool. And he also likes music, David. Music makes you cool. Because <laughs> the more we talk about it, the more I do think there are sort of 
naked gun elements that if I tapped into them, I'd enjoy. But like the exaggeration Antonio Banderas puts on some of his action, puts on some of his scenes and movements. It's so dopey for me that it, it doesn't always work, but there is also a charm to it because it's so dopey. Well, speaking of being cool, he literally is like cool under pressure. You know, he does not ever freak out. He maintains a level head and he's, he's confident in his killing abilities. And in terms of an action hero, uh, you want to have someone who's ready for action. And this dude is. So yeah, I'm going to say he is cool. That's true. That's true. But David, we, Bucho comes out. He's investigating the husk of the bookstore. And El Mariachi has him in his sights. And you see that, oh, he, he recognizes him, I guess, because he doesn't kill him. And he's decided not to shoot Bucho. But he's also decided not to get down, idiot. Like, he's just hanging out. Like, there's no way Bucho did not see this dude on a roof. He's not on top of, like, a six-story building. Like, if you saw a dude who, he's not blending in either. It's a yeah. bright day. This guy's wearing all black. You fucking see him. Yeah, who's that human gargoyle on top of the Little Caesars? Like, yeah, I could see you from here. I kind of wanted a reverse shot of the spatial relations between the two. Yeah, but I like that Sama Hayek here is like, what are you doing? Shoot him. Shoot him, idiot. He's going to kill me. Like, shoot him. So often, you know, bad screenwriters will saddle female characters who are not the hero of the story with this, like, wet blanket role. Like, they don't know that they're in an action movie. You know what? I, like, yeah. and I'm, I'm, it, I get it because you're, you're trying to ground the violence of this movie and against somebody being like, hey, well, this is getting out of hand. But at the same time, I'm here to have fun. So the fact that Sam Hayek was like, fucking shoot him. In that moment, I feel like the audience, I felt like maybe we're also saying the same thing. So yeah, great. And this is where he, she's like getting in his face and he like pushes her away, but it's kind of a funny push her away. I didn't feel like it was violent at all. If, if someone disagrees with me, punchmountain at gmail.com, let me know. Yeah, you know, this movie, you know, this movie did a really good job of setting up her motivations because yeah, like you said, you know, this movie very easily could have been this pacifist lady, like, oh, you know, don't shoot him. You know, he's a human being. He's He's got a good heart. But it's like, yeah, he just burned my bookstore down. Fucking shoot him in the head, you asshole. What's taking you so long? But back, back at the compound, Bucho gives his team a pep talk and some coaching on how to kill strangers before sending them back into town to get the mariachi. The mariachi and Carolina are holed up at his place, deciding where to go with Carolina's six-figure nest egg. Turns out Carolina never read any of the banking books in her bookstore because her life savings burned in the fire. Guess the mariachi better make some phone calls and get some help from his old pals. David, this scene where Bucho is yelling at his crew, what'd you think about this scene? Because it kind of reminded me a little bit of Brad Wesley, because Bucho is dressing down his own guys, just like Brad Wesley in the movie Roadhouse was dressing down his uh, crew for not being able to kill or beat up uh, Dalton. Very Roadhouse. This is funny. You know, again, it feels out of place in the lineup of the movie, but it is a funny scene. It is just sort of like, Bucho's frustrated. He he wants to take it out on somebody. So he's like, how hard is it? If, you, if you're in town and you see someone you don't know, kill them. So he pretends to not know one of his goons. And he's like, who is that guy? I don't know him. I must kill him. And so he walks us through it. Bucho's such a dick. It's it, it is it teeters on not being enjoyable, but it's very enjoyable. Like even his right hand guy, I forget his name. It's gonna be Carlos Gomez. I think his name Memo in the movie. But like Bucho takes Memo's gun to to do the shooting, and then like puts the gun to Memo's forehead before shoving it right back down his pants, like this hot barrel. I'm like, how does Bucho not get fragged by now? Like, what is the chain of command where it's like someone just doesn't take him out? I love that dynamic in movies where it's like you guys could just kill him. Yeah. In fact, his crew seems kind of pissed that Bucho just murdered one of their guys. And his instructions were, of course, it's like, if you don't, if you see someone you don't recognize, kill him. And so Bucho looks at his men who have not jumped into action. And he goes, hey, 
look at all these guys. I don't know them. And I was like, I better kill them. And then they all run away, which is very jokey. But ugh, it's kind of a funny joke. But they should have run on the first line. He should have mm-hmm. been like, look, who are all these guys? And then they all should have run away. That would have been hilarious. Yep. But then they just yeah, they need to telegraph it a little bit more. But yeah, David, in terms of carrying him to Brad Wesley, which I did, he's not quite at Brad Wesley level of villainy. And I figured it out because Bucho is frustrated by his enemies because he thinks they are in his way. Brad Wesley is frustrated by his enemies because he thinks they're in the way of his greatness. Hmm. I don't know, get a sense that Bucho thinks he is a great and powerful man. I think he just thinks he wants what he wants and he expects to get it. Whereas Brad Wesley definitely is like, I'm Brad Wesley. I'm a bad guy. I'm like, so maybe that's a little bit of a punch up there is, is I want to hear some of like Bucho's big plans. Yeah. I want to hear Bucho being like, we close this deal and then we're running the show. But we're ramping up, Mac. It's time to call in the old bandmates and, and get them on the phone. And so uh, the mariachi does. He's going to call some friends to help him you know, take care of Bucho. So he tells his friends over the phone. He's like, hey, how fast can you get here? Okay, get on a bus. Oh, and by the way, bring your guitars. Does this imply that invites exist where these guys don't bring their guitars? Do you think there have been moments where like they were just invited to a cookout and they brought their guitars? Or like, do you think there's some inconsistency in the invite? Yeah, I think there was a time when they got invited. Like, I need you here right now. This wedding is down three groomsmen, and then they need to, you know, just just wear something nice. But no, David, they bring their guitars in an action set piece we'll call Guitars of Death. Yeah, the Mariachi's pals arrive after all. His bandmates, Campa and Kino, played by Carlos Gallardo. That's the original Mariachi. And Albert Michael Jr., who thankfully brought their guitar case-themed weapons. So this is going to be a real quick shootout with a high body count, including the depressingly quick deaths of Campa and Kino. The little boy guitar player also gets shot, but we get him to the hospital in time before the mariachi is off to exact his final revenge. David, so the uh, the mariachi band, the Guitars of Death, uh, Guitars del Muerto, um, the bad guys are facing off against David. Again, Stormtrooper-like game. These guys suck. This is where it started to grade on me because leading up to this in the shootouts, the shootouts are fun because they're so kinetic. You really don't care so much about who's landing blows and who's not. But this one, it's the showdown. It's the shootout between men versus men. And like these guys can't hit the broad side of the barn. And at this point, I'm like, there's something really not fun about this. Like you've got to at least put some peril in front of our heroes. You got to at least give us some sense of danger that they're not going to make it out of it. And like, instead of putting that in the movie, he just kills off side characters as sort of an artificial way to implant that in the movie. Yeah. I mean, and you're right. This is, this is a sequence because the bad guys show up and we see the band standing tall, standing together. And as the bad guys approach, Antonio Banderas says this. Back together again, eh? Yeah. Let's play. Let's play. And David, they're not talking about playing music. They're talking about, I don't know, murdering people. And they're shooting guns in it at uh, Tony B, El Mariachi, who really is not making a concerned effort to get out of the way. He's kind of almost like, you can't even shoot me because I'm so mad. He's like so pissed. He makes a face. He's like, I'm so pissed you're even shooting at me. At one point, he even like flamingos behind the guitar case. He like stands on one leg, hides behind the guitar case, and that's good enough. Like that was, I I think I audibly rolled my eyes at that moment. <laughs> audibly rolled your eyes? You mean you yeah. made a noise or your eyes are that wet? No, I went roll. Okay. I don't know if you had the wet uh, bug eyes of a Steve Buscemi. Like, <laughs> like Randall from Monsters Incorporated. El Mariachi, right? His, his guitar case is full of guns. What about his buddies? You, you think the same thing? No, don't be stupid, David. One guy, his guitars, they're automatic weapons. 
And so he like kind of just points the uh, the neck part of the guitar case and a little hole uh, opens up and bip, 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 bip. he's just laying down some heavy ammo, just wasting bad dudes. The third guitar player, what do you think he's got in his guitar? You think it's just guns? Candy, I assume. No, David, again, don't be so stupid. He like picks up his guitar, kind of flips it over his shoulder, crouches down, click, click, click. His guitar case is a fucking missile launcher. David, I remembered, thinking about this movie, I remember the one dude had an automatic weapon guitar case. I sure as fuck forgot about this missile launcher. As soon as he uh, launched the missile out of the guitar case, I laughed out loud and I marked out. That was another mark out moment for me. I fucking lost it at this missile launcher. So so funny this is yeah this is very fun and very good i i there was a part of me that was also kind of like let's wrap this up but again another fun little affordable sequence gun cases are cool missiles are cooler uh yeah to just like blow people away out of nowhere is really awesome good stunts good squibs the poor nephew though he's like on the roof of a building and he gets shot he falls down and like the camera falls follows him all the way to the ground. It was actually kind of impressive. I think it was the nephew who killed Danny Trejo's character. And you're like, oh, are we building this guy up to something? No, we're not. He Again, uh, we, you know, he's a meaningless character. I guess he dies a meaningless death. Kind of doesn't really you know, have a point. But David, the music during the scene, it felt like montage music for like a bad baseball team finally like having some success. Like, oh yeah, the Cleveland baseball team is really turning around. I guess they're joining the major leagues or something. <laughs> but yeah, it did not, there's no, there's no tension here. This, the music said, Hey, we're just having fun. Like, don't, don't think too hard about this. It really did. There was a, you know, a f- reminiscent of like the hard target stunt spectacular vibe that that movie had sometimes. But then, you know, through all this gunfire, the, the poor kid, the poor guitar player that we've been checking in on, he gets shot. Uh, he gets caught in some crossfire, so we got to take him to the hospital. Mariachi drops him off. He, This is you know, the thing he needs. This is like I, what I can't stand, I can't stand no more. And so he goes off to exact revenge on Bucho. I'm feeling it. I get it. But at the same time, there's something about Tony B that comes off like a real dork. Like he's just like kind of, again, he's kind of a fussy britches in this moment where he's just like, I'm going to go get this. I I don't know. Yeah, no, I I, I can see that. But yes, the mariachi declined to kill Bucho earlier. But now that Bucho's thugs have hurt this kid, this guitar kid, now he's like, I guess he needs to die because innocent people are getting hurt. David, the shot of taking the kid to the hospital was jarring for some Mm. weird reason. Just because, like, you know, we're seeing this like Western kind of movie where people are are dying and doesn't seem to be any consequence. And here we are at like a hospital where professional people work and that. They need to have a supply truck come and bring all these. And they got like a, a room where they sterilize things. It just seemed like a real world thing that this fantasy world was bumping up against. Yeah, we're suddenly very real. Yeah, I expect them to kick open the door and dock from Deadwood. Uh, what's the actor's name? Uh, Brad Dorif. Go, oh, good Dorif pull. Dorif? Dorif. Dorif on golf. Yes. Uh, sure. The doctor who is kneeling on some shoes that seem small. But yes, you're right, David. It's time for Bucho and El Mariachi to meet. Oh, my God. Time for one big final showdown at the compound, right? No, well, not quite. Uh, turns out the Mariachi and Bucho are brothers. What? I'm afraid so. Bucho urges the Mariachi to leave with Carolina and forget what he saw here, but then decides to kill Carolina? That's too much for the Mariachi, who guns down Bucho and evaporates out of there before any of Bucho's goons can retaliate. We get one final scene at the hospital checking in on Guitar Boy before heading off into the sunset with Carolina. First without the guitar case full of guns, but then psych, we're going to take the guns. Now, David, 
partially why this scene does not feel like it matters to me. And maybe, I don't know if, I don't know if this is contributing to your lack of enthusiasm about El Mariachi is because I don't see the correlation. Like, why is he getting revenge on El Bucho? It's like, okay, because I guess the bad guy from the first movie worked for Bucho. Yeah, but he wasn't operating on Bucho's orders. Bucho didn't pick up the phone and he's like, kill Mariachi's girlfriend. It seemed like a weird thing for him to do to begin with. It just seemed like he was bored. And so now that he's going after his brother, it just, I don't know. It's like, all of a sudden, he's like, you're killing innocent lives. It's like, oh, you're Batman all of a sudden? Bucho's like, well, tell you what, I'll, I'll make it real easy for the audience. Uh, Carolina betrayed me, which she wouldn't have done unless you had gotten involved. So now I'm going to let you go free, El Mariachi, but I do need to kill Carolina to punish her for betraying me. And so now, of course, El Mariachi's like, oh, my motivation is clear. I have to kill Bucho, which I will do more or less off screen. The, the meetup is arbitrary. This motivation is arbitrary. Like literally two minutes prior to this, Bucho's trying to get Mariachi to leave. He's like, look, I killed your girlfriend. So what? You know, uh, I didn't do it. You've got a new girlfriend now. Look at Carolina. But David, again, uh, Wikipedia, my inside source here, my inside Hollywood source, said by far the most major excision came at the end of the film, which originally contained a large scale shootout between El Mariachi, Carolina, Bucho, and his thugs at Bucho's mansion. But owing to the amount of footage the MPAA demanded be removed from the scene, Rodriguez elected to remove the sequence in its entirety, giving the film its current fade out ending. So I was reading some of this that because of the amount of blood they used, they gave this thing an NC-17 rating or they're about to, which seems crazy to me that just like over the top cartoon blood violence would get NC-17, especially like look at Dust Till Dawn, like what, two years later? Like, right, yeah. It's ridiculous. So the fact that they had to take out scenes to hit the R rating and he's like, this scene now sucks. Let's just fade to black. That sucks. Like an action movie where your final like denouement action scene gets cut. Like where was the director's cut on this thing? That's super disappointing. And I felt like, I felt like that had to be the case because it really is like, man, did this guy just evaporate? You know, are we, are we allowed to do this in movies? You're allowed to cut away from action and assume everything is okay. But like, I'm also wondering about the scene itself. It's the end. Like, you know, that makes this feel more like an epilogue than the way to wrap up the movie, than, you know, than the exciting conclusion. So like you couldn't have cut anything else, but it's also, you know, you say that I meant to make mention earlier of their really good use of quick cuts. When, uh, when Tarantino gets his head blown off, when Cheech Marin gets shot in the face, they do such really quick, it, it was almost like Dawn of the Dead in the way it was able to manage its quick cuts. So I thought they did a really good job of skirting the rated R. But if there is something out there that would have pushed them over NC-17, that's really interesting. Yeah, that's a really good point about the quick cuts. Because yeah, you get a sense that, oh, Quentin Tarantino was definitely shot on the head. But the edit is so fast, you don't really get a sense of any sort of gore. Like you could just tell that like, oh, he's, and the back of his head was doing it. It's gone. Like you, I mean, yeah, you could tell it, it definitely is. His head was about to explode, but he sure as heck didn't see it. But David Bucho has two lieutenants. One of them died in the uh, Guitars of Death scene. And the other lieutenant is the lady he was having sex with earlier. But she's kind of had like a, a dangerous vibe throughout this whole movie. And I was watching, I was like, oh, are we going to get to see her lethal potential? Uh, lethal potential, David, I think was yet another uh, retitle for In the Line of Duty to the Super Cops. Uh, but no, but this edit, Fading to Black, totally just robs that character of anything to do. It's like, why the fuck is she in this movie uh, if you know if we're not going to do anything with her? And maybe the answer is they did do something with her. Maybe Salma Hayek got to like blow her away with uh, another guitar case. Who knows? But we, not me, because they didn't. We didn't get to see it. 
But then we, you know, we fade out. I guess we're just going to assume he he runs to the bus and catches it, and then he goes right to the hospital. We're going to check in on the the guitar boy uh, for a little bit of an epilogue. I'll be honest with you. I've seen this movie several times. I've seen this movie a couple times in the past few days. This was my grabbing the coat moment. This was like, I don't even remember the dialogue that happened. I don't even remember what the Mariachi Express. I was like, all right, credits are coming soon. But when El Mariachi's leaving the hospital room, he passes a dude. And I was like, oh, I... I guess that dude is the kid's dad. And El Mariachi was kind of like shaming him by being there. I don't know. I believe in the hospital, El Mariachi says this. Carolina. Did I thank you? No. I will. So he hasn't thanked her yet, David, but maybe their paths will cross again someday. Uh, Wait. 30 seconds and their paths cross again. She pulls up in a car and she's like, idiot, get in the fucking car. Let's go have a, a happy ending somewhere. And he's like, yeah, happily ever after. Here we come. And he throws his guitar case behind him. His days of violence are behind him. Screet. Car backtracks. He picks up the guns. He's like, it's a long trip. Like, you, you don't know what might happen. I'm going to pick up the guns. Which I, I like that ending a whole lot, honestly. I thought that was like a fun little nod of like, uh, I, I might want to be violent again. And sure enough, he was in a really bad movie once upon a time in Mexico. Yeah, no, this was a very satisfying way to end this movie. It's sufficiently silly. It's sufficiently, it leaves you just enough to be like, even if you don't particularly like this movie, you still get excited for the idea of a third one. Like, that's all you want out of a movie. Yes, and he does thank her, and he thanks her by a whole bunch of smooching. Sure does, and that, Mac, is the end of Desperado. All right, David, how many markout moments did you have in this movie? I had one and a lot of halves. I had a lot of near markout moments. They just didn't quite get over the goal line for me, but I did have one. How about you, Mac? I had four. I uh, tilted that pinball machine four times. David, is this someone's favorite movie? That would be wild if it is. Uh, maybe. You know, it's fun enough. It's it's cool enough. It's silly enough, but I, I can't imagine the person. I think this movie felt really fresh when it came out, and I think there are people, maybe those dudes in my high school, that this movie uh, holds a place in their heart. So yeah, I, I think it is someone's favorite movie. It's definitely my favorite Robert Rodriguez movie. I think, yes. Let's say, yeah, that's about right. All right, David, it's time for punch-ups. Everybody knows we're the ultimate script doctors. David, how would you fix this movie? How would you punch it up? First thing I'm gonna do, I'm gonna give more screen time to the people who deserve more screen time. Let's get more Trejo. His, his appearance, I wouldn't even call it arc. Like his story was non-existent. He just made an appearance did some stuff and then he was gone. But like, even even in 95, not knowing anything about Danny Trejo, he was a captivating on-screen presence. You're really good at getting the most out of your captivating on-screen presences. Do that with him. Of course I say that, but then my next note is gonna be give Salma Hayek more to do in this movie. And I'm not just saying that to give her more screen time because she was lovely to look at throughout this movie. But like like the moment, you know, like the markout moment that you had where she she shoots the guy and then the mariachi shoots the, shoots the guy falling down the stairs. Like, I want her to literally have the mariachi's back. I want her to be able to fill in in those moments of weakness that he might have. You know, she's a strong lady. She's a formidable character on screen. You could have pulled it off. But my final note, Mac, is going to be erring on the side of brevity. You know, this movie's got a, a runtime over 100 minutes, but it's, it is very flabby in the way that like an independent movie would be or in the way that like a direct-to-video movie I think there's like a 76 minute banger. I think there's like a Jonah Hex amount of movie in this movie that could actually be a really good movie. 
not to criticize it. Like I said, you know, this was a fun time. Uh, but I think it could have been more funner. <laughs> I think it could have been tighter. I think it could have been a better movie. Yeah, this movie definitely meanders at times. There's parts where you're like, what is the, do we care about the plot here? Or are we just kind of hanging out? I already mentioned a couple punch-ups throughout this thing. Uh, I think you're spot on with, with Trejo. I thought it would have been an awesome punch-up as like a post credit scene. As we see a bar and they're like looking for some musical acts. And the guy hiring looks up and he and you hear like uh, Antonio Banderas off screen be like, it's like, you know, you're looking for someone we can play. And he's like, oh, yeah, uh, well, what kind of music do you play or something like that? And then I don't know. But you look over, you see there's a reverse shot. And Selma Hayek is also dressed like an El Mariachi. And she's got a case oh. uh, of weapons. Maybe we set up that the uh, the music booker is like a criminal that they got to murder. <laughs> she could play guitar. She played it earlier in the movie. So hell yeah, weapon them up, weaponize them. That's right. But also once this movie made back its budget, yeah, maybe go ahead and like, let's release a special edition. Where you like punch up a couple of things, add in some fun scenes, delete that uh, Quentin Tarantino one, and then burn the footage. Yeah, I don't know what to do with that scene. I, I wrote down, recast it, and then I was like, just cut it all together. But honestly, it's just leave it in. You know, it really grounds this movie in a certain time period. So yeah, is the scene necessary? No. Would cutting it make the movie better? Yes. But also just fucking leave it in. I don't know why. Leave it in. That is the best argument to keep it in. It's it's so it is this time capsule. It feels very 1995. Even though really like the punch up there is just make it a one liner. It does not have to be this you know this story joke. Just like hey, did you hear the one about the this? It's the this. Boom, you shoot the friend. Like it's it could be so much quicker. Yes. Yeah, I'd be I'd be interested to see this movie cut with a different soundtrack as well, just to see what that kind of effect would have. But then also my my number one punch up is Robert Rodriguez. This movie was a lot of fun, man. And it was a lot of fun to look at. And I, I wish some of his other movies kind of had this, you know, feeling to it instead of just people in front of uh, green screens. For sure. I agree. Well, David, let's enter the Punch Mound video store. David, we have three copies of Desperado. We splurged. We've got three copies. David, this is an all-action movie video store. So where would you stock these movies? What subsections of action would you put these copies in my first one is going on the director's shelf i'm putting i'm starting a robert rodriguez shelf this is an interesting one because i've spent a good part of my life being down on robert rodriguez sort of you know using him as a punchline but watching this movie i realize he he is a talent he was a talent he makes fun movies i think we'll see i think we could see more robert rodriguez's on a shelf in this store so that's going to be my first one uh, second one's going to be direct-to-video action. I know this was a theatrical release, but this has the spirit of a direct-to-video movie. I could have said 90s action, but it's not quite accurately 90s action. I could have said 70s action, but, you know, it's not made in the 70s. But I think direct-to-video, it's most at home there. Last one's going to be hair action. You know, put it right next to Hard Target, put it right next to Roadhouse. There is some hair action in this movie. I've made my peace with it. It's silly, but it's fun. Those three categories work for me. And yes, Robert Rodriguez, you're right to give him some credit, David, because he's definitely a dude that did it his own way. You know, he, you get a sense these movies he makes, it's because he wants to make them. And just because they're not necessarily my cup of tea, th this guy has been able to exert a level of creative control over his projects for such a super long amount of time. It's honestly very impressive. So, I mean, you know, kudos to him. Good luck with Book of Boba Fett or whatever he's working on now. So, yeah. All right, David, it's come down to this. We have to determine Desperado's place on Punch Mountain, a.k.a. its ranking on the definitive ranking of action movies. So, David, right now at the summit, let's remind people that uh, number one through five is Terminator 2 Judgment Day, Raid 2 The Matrix Prey, and RRR. 
at the bottom of the mountain at the base, Passenger 57, Deadly Prey, and the Poseidon Adventure. And at the visitor center for the mountain, right at the capsule machine, right next to where you get the little homies. And you can also get the dinosaur eggs that you put in water. And three days later, they still don't hatch. They're broken, is the movie Chappie. So, David, before we get the mountains rankings, the word from on high, where would you place this movie? Um, the bad news is I'm not too high on this movie. The good news is I'm not too low on this movie. Like, you know, this movie settles in the lower half of this mountain, but I'm not going to argue for it to go very far down the mountain. It's fun. The energy kind of falls off the cliff in the second half, but can't argue with fun. I don't know. Somewhere in the middle. What about you, Mac? This movie does feel thin on plot. However, the action is memorable and it feels fresh. And I do like our action hero, the El Mariachi here. And so I would, yeah, I put it in the middle, but a solid middle. It'd be number whatever with a bullet, I guess. David, get down because those rocks are falling off of the face of Punch Mountain. The golden letters are appearing and we find out that Desperado is now number 12. That's right. Nine, the rock, 10 Pacific Rim, 11, the woman king, 12, Desperado, followed by Top Gun Maverick, Birds of Prey. Yes, madam, et cetera. That feels good. That feels fun. Yes. Thus spoketh thine mountain, I guess. <laughs> Classic mountain catchphrase. That's not an ordinary battle horn. That's a horn calling us to action on this podcast. We talk a lot about fictional action heroes. We also want to talk about real heroes taking action for vulnerable, underserved, or underrepresented communities. This month, we're spotlighting Stand With Trans. Stand With Trans offers resources for transgender youth and the parents of transgender individuals, from support group offerings to community education and youth workshops. After each episode this month, Punch Mountain will be making a small donation to Stand With Trans. Also, for every review we get on Apple Podcasts, we'll add $1 to that donation. And hey, if it's a good review, we'll probably read it on the air because we are needy. For more information on Stand With Trans or to donate directly to them, visit standwithtrans.org. Folks, that's going to do it for another week of Punch Mountain. Don't forget to add us on social media. We're on Twitter and Instagram at Punch Mountain or drop us a line at punchmountain at gmail.com. MacBlakeComedy.com is your source for Mac stand-up. Next week from 1990 and directed by Irvin Kirshner. What? We're, wa- we're watching RoboCop 2 written by Frank Miller. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye.